Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this, the Legion of Myth Weekly live stream. I am your host, Alex Garathon Marsh. With me is Brett Heathen Dog Grissomer, and our very special guest, who will make your whole life worthwhile. The reason you showed up and didn't even know it was for Sean Cthulhu McKinney and his in-depth and intelligent analysis of the actual meaningness of life itself. So uh, look forward to that. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing great. I think Sean peed himself a little bit with that grand introduction. Now, now he's got to live up to it. I, I, all I can think of is Ted Theodore Logan. Whoa. Esquire. <laughs> was it, it was Billis Preston, Ted Theodore Logan. Was it which was Esquire? Oh, it was Billis Preston, Esquire, Ted Theodore Logan. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Correct. We're all just dust in the wind, dude. Dust, wind, dude. Come on, Brett. What's the next line? I'm sorry. I was uh, I was talking to my wife. Uh, what was it? The next line is ah, oh, like sounds through the hourglass. Such are the days of our lives, and everyone claps. Oh right, yeah. Um, I watched that movie once. And never again. I don't know if we could be friends anymore. <laughs> I didn't even see the three amigos. I actually, actually. Uh, wait, wait, uh, what? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm still processing that one. No, no, no. I, I, uh, some, someone, someone gave me, gave me the, 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 uh, the tape, the, the VHS tape as a gift. This was back. This was back when I was in the military. I popped it in my player. I played it for ten minutes. I ejected it and I threw it off my third story balcony. Harsh. What? I will say the Three Amigos does take some time to warm up. I will say that. Stupid comedy, I can't stand. Like, Three Stooges, can't stand. It's, it's just dumb. I mean, the, the comedy has to be smart, or I'm not I'm not about it. Well, the thing is with Three Stooges, the three, though, three is that... You're breaking my heart. I can watch, like, the Three Stooges for, like, 15, 20 minutes, but after that, it gets old. I gotta, you know cleanse the palate. I like it in short bursts, you know, like many other things. I think part of, at least with the Three Amigos, they're parodying a lot of other stuff. Exactly. So, if you're familiar with other stuff, I think it works as more than just slapstick. Right, and that's to do with a, good par- a lot of parodies of that Old Republic serials as well in that. So, if you're not familiar with those at all, you kind of get lost. Yeah, and you've got your Seven Samurai, and uh, whatever the Western remakes are called. Uh, Magnificent parodying- Seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you're getting replaced, Heathen Dog. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, today, uh, we got Heathen Dog's Heathen Dogma with... Uh, I didn't update that slide. Uh, with his nope. Shadowrun updates. Hey, I updated all the other slides. Uh, then, Cthulhu will take us through Deadpool and philosophy, the Deadpool killology, and our lack of free will. I found that some entertaining light reading in between my going through uh, James Joyce's Ulysses and uh, Homer's Odyssey. So, uh, it's... <laughs> It should be fun for everyone. And uh, lastly, Garthon's comic poll. We're talking about real literature. Uh, JLA, Power Man and Iron Fist, and New Superman. And then some exciting and slightly invasive RNG. Oh, very invasive. Stay tuned. If I understand how the RNG segments work, um, and based on the past episodes, I believe tonight, aren't we going to talk about what's wrong with goodness and hope? <laughs> uh, we do that a lot, don't we? Um, it's true. Once or it's twice. true. Actually, actually, uh, we're uh, we're going to talk about uh, how how American cops aren't alone in the world. <laughs> oh, that's that's one way of putting it. Uh, They're among bad other, everywhere. Among other things, 
among other things. So if you have any random things rolling through your brainstem, I'm probably going to talk about a little bit about uh, some old video games, because I like talking about old video games. But first, before we do all that, we are going to all come together as a people, a united planet Earth, and agree that there's one thing we all know. The future is full of cyborgs and magic. And our guide is Heathen Dogs Shadowrun Update. Are we coming together like Evangelion? That'd be a not, not quite that together. That's a little invasive together. Like next to. Not part of. Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, good. Wait a minute. Let's have a let's have a disclaimer because I'm you're about to talk oh. and I'm worried. Uh, the yeah, opinions expressed this episode are solely the opinions of the individual host or commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasional use of foul or even offensive language or ideas. Thank you for understanding and continued viewership. Okay, now it's now it's uh, uh, sexual debauchery in the future. Yay! Let's do it. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. What? Wait, I was pretty excited <laughs> for a second there. <laughs> no, today on our uh, on our uh, continuing continuing ex examination of Shadowrun, uh, first, second editions. That's what I'm basing this on. I'm trying to keep it light. I'm trying to keep it above broad concepts. So even the third and fourth editions are going to be are, are going to be represented. In, in concept and soul. So everything's going to be fine. Today we're doing magic. Part one, because by the time I got to like five slides, I was like, crap, this is going to be longer than 30 minutes. So it's going to be part two next time. Magic. Now, uh, magic came back to the world, obviously freaked everyone out. And uh, the first people to uh, to really access the magic were the, were the people who never really uh, thought it was gone in the first place. And that that's the, that's the shaman. They, all of their ancient practices were, were based on actual uh, spells, really. So uh, suddenly that, that stuff just started working. And after, after all the other people thought that, saw that, oh my God, this crap is working, they decided to delve into their history and, and they found the D&D-esque the, uh, way, the, the, the Hermetic Mage. So those are your two choices. And you have to make that choice at character creation. You cannot change it. You're locked in for the life of your character. You're either shaman or you're a hemetic. If you're a shaman, you you access magic through nature and your personal spirit totem. That's that's how you that's how you see magic as working. If you try and do it another way, it doesn't work. So you're either a crazy hippie or someone who actually thinks things through. That's my personal feeling on it. Yes, but if you if you if you want to get to the feeling of the game, no. I mean the 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 uh, the shamanic way is more of a holistic. Uh, get along with nature. You don't have to force anything. You just allow nature to, to flow magic into you and it will allow you to shape it the way, the way you, the way you see fit. As long as you don't, you don't get all dumb with it and start, you know, uh, destroying the landscape or massacring people. They, they usually, they usually feel that's bad. Well, it would seem to be dog. That, uh, that one school seems to think of magic as feeling and the other things of magic as thinking. Right. Two, two different ways to come at the same goal. All right, Cthulhu, cool. I cut you off. What you doing? That's okay. I, I just wanted to clarify one thing about magic. Now, in Shadowrun, is it only people whose cultures were unable to actually succeed in the world that can do magic, or can anybody do magic? Uh, any culture can, but uh, every specific person, no. They actually found uh, a magical gene. You have to have this gene turned on, kind of like mutant gene. You have to have so it turned on. 
and then 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 you can do magic. You can do any kind of magic. It 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 depends on on how how you're brought up. It depends on what you believe in, stuff like that. So could like a Japanese businessman or like a an English banker could they become a shaman? Yes, definitely. As long as they have the mindset for it. Exactly. As you know, as as, as long as their mind is open to different ideas and they embrace it, it works. Cool. All right. Now, like like I said earlier, you have to do this at the character creation. Your choice is forever, and be, and be, because of the dramatically different mindsets on on the view of how magic works and and how the universe works, it colors your character's actions and their view of the world. Everything is going to be filtered through this lens. So first, let's look at the shaman, since since they were they were the first ones. I'll give them top billing. How shamans see the world? Well, magic isn't just an energy in the world. It is the world. It's part of the world. It, it flows through the world, through you, and then back again. It is, it is, a, it is a, a pulse. It is the blood flow of the universe. All right. Apparently, that was a great okay. statement because no one has yeah. any questions. All right. Good. Apparently, <laughs> that was great. Blood okay. flow universe. Check. Check. Got it. Okay. Now, uh, at your character creation, as a shaman, you have to choose a totem. Now you gotta be careful. Each totem has its own personality, and if you if you if your actions go against the personality of your totem, you will be punished. You're going to live with this thing for the rest of your life, hopefully. Because if your totem leaves, you, okay. your magic's gone. I think I know the answer to this question, but okay, if you can clarify, are there certain totems that you cannot choose at character as, creation? Yes, as a player character, there are some. There are a couple of totems that are not allowed for, for PCs. These are insect totems and toxic totems. Uh, these in, insect shamans and toxic shamans are, are NPCs because they are uh, devoid of all human love and compassion. And uh, they, their goal is to only bring about death and destruction to everyone in the world. So not a good PC. Well, it depends what kind of game you're running, I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're playing a playing a, like a dark side game, I suppose it'll work. But you know, it, if if you win, the world is dead. That's kind of you know, uh, anti. Maybe it's a short campaign. Yeah, yeah, short one, short one. Okay, now a couple of examples of totems are bear, rat, and dog, and all of them have their have their own personality. I want to say, yeah, personality is good. I want to say that, and. Uh, uh, characteristics like a bear. Uh, he uh, um, he is powerful in body and and uh, slow moving unless unless he unless he has an impetus to move really fast. All right. And the the rat is is I wouldn't say conniving but shifty. You know and uh, and he uh, he has a tendency to. Uh, well, rats are also highly intelligent and highly adaptable. Yes, yes, uh, very They're observant. Very yes, uh, very 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 observant, very quick to action. And uh, very, very—I don't—I don't want to say methodical, but well, their actions are well thought out. And then, then there's dog. Dog. Uh, you think about it, dog, loyal, companion, uh, w wouldn't wouldn't leave someone to die in a ditch, uh, especially if they're a friend. And uh, each each of these totems have you get pluses and minuses for certain types of magic, like for bear, for instance. Let's, let's read theirs. Uh, they get bonuses for health spells and conjuring forest spirits. Uh, the rat. He gets bonuses for detection and illusion spells and bonuses for conjuring spirits of man. For the dog, this is a cool one, uh, plus two for detection and 
plus for conjuring field and hearth spirits. Hearth spirits are home spirits, which really goes into to a domesticated animal would, would see a building as a home. So would a dog make the best bounty hunter? Uh, contrary to the TV show, <laughs> no. Because because uh, a, a dog shaman would mostly be a compassionate person. Now, if you wanted a, if you wanted a, a bounty hunter, you would either choose wolf or snake, because because they are hunters and a hunter for wolf, and for snake just you know d- doesn't care about you as a person. He, he he can he can easily remove any emotion from from the job of hunting you down. Okay, good to know. Does your have go. to be an animal? Can I choose something else? No, it's always an animal. Oh, it's always well, an animal. Toxic isn't animal, right? I mean, you can't choose it. Well, but no, there are uh, other spirits, to- right? Toxic, yeah. The, uh, uh, a toxic shaman. Uh, he, uh, the. I don't want to. I don't really get get bogged down in it, but um, he uh, he he gains power from places that have been corrupted by either uh, uh, chemicals or radiation or or uh, fracking or whatever and the, all, all all the spirits there have been corrupted they've they've been broken and his 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 totem uh, everything is filtered through that so he's a broken version of a dog a rat or a raccoon or whatever like all the people are bad now because because look look what they did to my look what they did to my part of the world would you say that um Princess Mononoke, like that kind of would be showing versions of corrupted spirits. Yes, yes. Uh, if 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 a totem were ever to take, you know, flesh, ever take physical form, it it would be one of the animal gods, and and they they are corrupted into into a toxic form. I don't want to say the same way, but similarly uh, react to to the, the the desolation that man causes sometimes. Like fast okay. Food. Now, now we we, yeah. There you go. And then uh, we're gonna move on to to what's really really cool about being a shaman, which is summoning. Now, hermetics can summon too, but the 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 uh, shamanic summoning is very interesting. Shamans can only call nature spirits. Uh, these spirits are connected and limited to the terrain where the summoner is at the time of summoning. For example, if you're in a forest, boom, you got a tree spirit. In a home, boom, you get a hearth spirit. Now, if you're in a desert, boom, desert spirit. It's it's that simple. I mean, you don't get a choice. You just wherever you, the physical location you are chooses which spirit comes to help you, and each spirit has bonuses and minuses uh, to their abilities and, and stuff depending on what kind they are. Like, a, um, if you're in the middle of the ocean, you will get you will get an ocean you will get, you will get an, an ocean spirit, and uh, you you light him on fire, he will be vulnerable to fire. Great. Okay, you know stuff like that. Now, uh, shamanic spirits. The the coolest thing about them is they can be summoned in seconds. Like, I want to summon a spirit. You summon your spirit, and boom, he's there. And that, that, that took all of three to six seconds. Good job. And now, now he's there for about five or ten or whatever rounds, depending on how many successes you got. He's, he's, he's there for that many rounds to help you, to, to serve you, and, and do all that stuff, whatever you want to do, whatever you want done. And, that, and that's great because it's immediate. I mean, you don't have to be able, you don't have to think ahead like oh, I got to plan ahead the situation because I got to have these spirits handy. Like, no, it, you can't do it with a shaman because you don't know exactly where you're going to be an hour from now, and that's the spirit you're going to have to get. So yeah, I mean, they get a bonus because they can they can summon on demand, but you are hindered by the fact that wherever you are is the spirit you get. Like, no, no, I wanted the spirit to help me fly up to that building. Oh, sorry, dude, you're inside a building at the time, and heart spirits can't fly. 
Oh. Why? Well, they, they, they can't fly in physical form okay. because they're a hearth spirit. They're not a sky spirit. Well, I'm just saying, you know, stuff flies up a hearth, right? Fire is in a hearth. Fire flies. Well, if you had a large enough fire, you could you Go on. you you Go could on firefly. No, on, you know, you sorry. couldn't do. No, you know, you couldn't do that. No, never mind. You couldn't do that at all. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no stuff stuff like that. And then we go to the other side of the coin, the Hermetic Mage. Uh, the, he has taken the the complete opposite way that uh, we we spoke about earlier. The the the, the shaman believes in in the in the heart of magic whereas the hermetic is, is believes that magic is an energy that has to be mastered to be to be transformed and to create magical effects uh, the, ma- the magic formulae that they use are meticulously studied and committed to memory spells are researched and practiced for weeks sometimes months before they are considered ready they are meticulous and this shapes the wizard's personality most hermetic mages are very type a they're very controlling because uh, having control of magical energy is paramount in their psyche. It's how they think. Like, like I said, the, 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 way they, the way they look at magic, uh, everything goes through that. Everything is filtered through that lens. Everything, everything they do, everything they believe, magic is the soul, is the anchor to, to, their, to their psyche. Everything else is revolved around that. Heathen Dog, have, are you familiar with either the movie John Wick or The Professional? I'm familiar with both. Okay. So your description just now made me think of that kind of meticulous hitman image. Is that sort of in the right ballpark? Well, uh, both of them have trained for many years in their craft diligently, and not 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 only training and and skill, like you know, I'm talking physical skill, but they both have the ability to to utterly focus. That right there. Is, is 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 what we're talking about for for a hermetic mage to master magic he has to be able to utterly focus not on what he's doing but also on on what it's what his actions are going to do so he also has to have a forethought in 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 his in his action so uh what, what you're thinking of a, a great fighter you know he he's not only study he's not only thinking about the perfect form for punching the guy in front of him. He also has to think about when I punch him, how far will he move back? How long will he be stunned? How long do I have to deal with this other guy with a pipe before I come back to him and snap his neck? It's that it's that kind of focus that uh, that a, a mage, a hermetic mage, requires to master his craft. I was wondering almost more about uh, the sort of OCD nature of those characters, like Leon, for example. Right, he's got his exact pattern he follows every day, and he takes care of his plant, and he's got his perfectly controlled little home. Well, yes, John oh. Wick's kind of similar. You know, he's got his suit, and everything has to be perfect, and yes. he has a tie and the vest. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I would go so far as to say OCD is a cheat because uh, you have you have a, a psychological issue that's making you have intense focus. Whereas John Wick, I believe he's not OCD. His intense focus is just a byproduct. His his cleanliness is just a byproduct of years of of training for intense focus. Okay, and we could expect similar behavior from a hermetic mage. Yes, most of the time. I mean, there there there's always someone on the outside of that bell curve. You know, there 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 there's the guy who's just completely gifted. Like he has he has an eidetic memory. Um, he's extremely intelligent. So he doesn't have to study that long. Everything came easier for him. So he's not he's not as entrenched in that in that uh, in that kind of mindset. Okay. So you know, there's that. 
Yeah. And then we go to hermetic summoning. Hermetic summoning is 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 different in both ways to to uh, to summoning that a shaman uses. Hermetic mages can only call spirits of the elements: earth, air, wind, fire. That's it. Now, all of these things take a lot of time and a lot of material. Okay. Now, uh, if you want to summon a fire spirit, you have to have a giant bonfire. You have to have all of these summoning uh, ritual. Uh, uh, artifacts and items and you have to have hours and hours of time to use and you will summon a spirit now you think well pff, well what use is that in a fight oh no time out guys don't shoot me i'm going to summon a fire spirit to kill you just give me three or four hours <laughs> you That's wait for it. this you wait for it yeah you wait for it yeah I'll, I'll show you what i will show you what no see a hermetic plans ahead his spirits he can summon them and they can hang around in astral space for days, waiting for him to call them to action. So de de uh, de depending on his charisma attribute, he could have six, six uh, rank, rank six uh, elementals waiting, waiting in astral space. And he, he mentally summons one to his side, and it happens immediately. And then the, the elemental appears. Now, this is great. You, you have a backbench on standby. That's awesome. But what if your backbench is all water elementals and, and you know, you're, you're in a desert now? Well, they're going to materialize and then start to die immediately. Oh, no, what are you doing to me? You know, like that. So they have to plan ahead. But that, that just, that just uh, uh, reiterates the, the, the hermetic's uh, mindset on, on, on focus and forethought. Well, you got to be prepared. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to go into any situation completely blind that's just they think that's just stupid that's just that's just a way to die they have to have some idea of what's going to happen so so they can make a plan have one or two uh uh properly properly uh uh aligned elementals waiting to help them out well i always do don't leave home without it just say exactly right so that's unlike would that be unlike nature spirits who are probably more, I don't know, are they more fickle and they're not going to hang around and wait for you to summon them? That's why they can be summoned more quickly? Whereas well, the no, elemental they, forces they of nature, not really being, having free will as such, don't mind hanging out that long. No, it's, it's, it's more of, of a, of a trade-off. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, shaman has, has a greater connection with the land, so he can summon a spirit of that land very quickly because because he has a he has a, a much louder speaker like hey i need a tree spirit oh, i'm here Bling! yay but uh nature is is the fickle one they don't stick around that long you you have to you have to you have to uh, uh, allocate number of successes from the power of the spirit you have to trade that off to how long the spirit's going to stay and help you and usually that, that 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 number is number in rounds so if you want a, a spirit of any kind of power whatsoever he, uh, he's not going to last He's not going to be with you for very long. Whereas the other way around, the longer the longer you are in summoning a spirit, the more ties that you can you can bind to it from to yourself to it, so it stays longer. It actually owes you services. Can I know you people like that connect a, an elemental to a foci so that you can sort of have them around all the time? There are some artifacts. Uh, it's it, it it isn't it isn't something that that uh, a starting PC can do, but uh, there okay. there are artifacts that that have spirits bound to them. 
Now, uh, you, you would have to adventure to get this spell. And then you would have to, you would have to study the spell. Then you have to adventure to get the material requirements for this spell. And then you could probably cast a spell. So that, that's a long way in, in, into a campaign where you can do something like that. Now, is that the sort of thing that's powerful enough that any famous NPCs have done it or do do it? There is a first edition adventure where the, the, the player characters stumble across uh, an item, uh, an, an idol, that has a spirit bound to it. And it is immensely powerful. Okay, and now it, uh, it it doesn't get too much into the backstory on that, because it's more of an Earth Dawn backstory. But uh -huh. uh, um, but um, as as far as far as other written written adventures I've seen, no, I have I have not seen anyone pull out a magic wand and say, yeah, about twenty years ago I I, I popped a, an an air elemental in this thing, and now I can do this. Look, whoosh. Well, I was sort of wondering if there's anything like you know um, I don't know, a mages guild or a company of mages a corporation and that has a there lot is of power, there is but and that is going to be these as super bodyguards or something no, that is going to be the the whole the whole uh, magical associations is going to be in, in part two as well okay so and uh, along with magic items so look out for that I will okay good because now we're going to get into spell casting all right spell casting has two flavors. What flavors sorcery. are they? That's right. Strawberry and vanilla. No, uh, sorcery and ritual sorcery. All right. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so sorcery is the instant I cast fireball, fireball goes off, fireball's done. Or I cast to turn you into a, into a pile of goo, you turn a pile of goo, yay, mi mission accomplished. Ritual sorcery is much stronger because it takes, it takes more, more, uh, more mages, more time. You are devoting a lot of time and a lot of energy into the spell, so the effect is going to be much more grand. Like that, that 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 fireball that you that you cast by yourself in the in the with the regular spellcasting sorcery, pew, and it blew up, and it was it was fiery, and it was a ball, so it worked. If you do a ritual sorcery fireball, this this thing is is now like a friggin' movie explosion. This is crazy. It's huge. Boom! Because you got five guys powering this thing for three hours. Of course, it's going to be bigger. Of course, it's going to be more deadly. Which is always and, a nice option. Yes, and uh, ritual sorcery also has 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 the cool thing where you don't really have to be there. That your your target doesn't really have to be there. If you have if you have a, a, some of his skin or blood or hair, or uh, on the outside some uh, his his favorite pocket watch, whatever, you 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 can channel magic through that and it'll hit him. Again, that that harkens back to uh, to Earthdawn and threats. Yeah, that's also a lot of, uh, I mean, not to say real world, but that harkens back to what magic practitioners will do. Like, oh, you have part of them, you could focus on them, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah, like the whole greed, greed, juju box, whatever, you know, you get, yeah. the, you, get the, you get the little plush doll that you stick pins in, but you have to have something of the person wrapped around it, and then it works. Yeah, yep, same thing. Voodoo dolls and mojo bags. Exactly, exactly. Now, always got a, uh, magic always has a catch, and in... In Shadowrun, the catch is drain. Drain is the effect of pushing magic through your body to power a spell. You're pushing magic through your through your body. Uh, sometimes, if you push too much or too fast, you're going to get hurt. Now, what kind of hurt? 
depends on how powerful the spell is and 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 how large your magic attribute is. Like uh, for example, a uh, uh, rat, uh, Ricky the Rat Shaman. He decided he wanted to learn uh, rank ten fireball because he wanted to throw out a fireball that put all of the fireballs to shame. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, but Rick, uh, Ricky the Rat Shaman has a uh, magic attribute of six. Now, the power of the spell is greater than his magic attribute, which means any drain or, or uh, damage from pushing magic through his body is going to be physical. He's going to get nosebleeds. Uh, he's he's going he's gonna to maybe uh, blow out his eardrums. He's going to rip his muscles if, if he does it wrong. Now, let, let, let's say Ricky decides, well, I don't really need the nuke right now. I know it at rank 10, but I'm going to cast it at rank 6, which you can do. You can always cast down from from any 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 spell you 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 know you can't cast up but you can cast down well now he's equal to or less than his magic attribute so even even if he pushes way too much power through it and he screws up his his drain resistance test he's still only going to take mental damage he's going to have a headache maybe a really bad one but it's not going to be any physical damage and mental damage heals much more faster pop a couple excedrin an hour from now you're good to go um, if you if you if you rip out your muscles, blow your eardrum, or or pop pop a blood vessel in your eyes, it's going to be a little longer heal time, a little longer. You're going to be laid up for a bit. So that sense. is yeah, that is that is that is the catch of spell magic. You have to push it through your body. You're gonna eventually take damage because the dice are not always your friend. Some sometimes you don't resist as well as you as you would think. You roll a lot of ones, you're boned. I think anyone who plays a lot of role-playing games almost views the dice as their enemy at some point. Yes, yes. Yeah, at, at, at some point, you're rolling, you're rolling. It's like, wow, uh, today's a bust. I can tell right now. It's, it's been 10 minutes, and I've rolled 20 ones. This is great. This is a brilliant plan. There's no way I could lose. I could only fail on a one or a two. Oh. Exactly, yeah. But, Here, yeah. Oh, go ahead. If the damage is physical... Does that mean that you could use some types of cyberware to heal it? Uh, no, no. Cyberware doesn't heal. Uh, you, you can use a, a, a med kit to heal physical damage. You can use you can use a magic spell to heal physical damage, which which is which is what a lot of what a lot of people do. They'll actually uh, uh, learn a spell at rank ten, even though they only have a rank six. They fire it off. They don't they don't allocate as much of their attention. As, as they probably should to resist drain, so so they they take moderate damage, but you just you just pulled off a nuke of a firebomb. Your enemy is dead, so now you have time to cast a heal spell on yourself to heal physical damage. Heal spells don't heal mental damage; they only heal physical damage. I've seen people try and game the system like that, but the problem is, if that if that nuke doesn't kill the guy, then you're hurt which means you're at minuses for everything. And he's not dead, and now he's really mad. And he's coming for you. Yeah. So this this has a double-edged sword feel to it. But uh, if you put cyberware on your body, your magic attribute actually goes down. So maybe spells that, that were safe before, now you, you got your arm blown off, you had, a, you had to have it replaced, and you, you couldn't afford a, a clone-grown arm to, to match your DNA. You had to put a cyber arm on there. Well, now your your magic attribute went from six to five, so all those spells at rank six, you know, now you're doing physical damage, when yesterday they were just mental. Okay, which, which is not cool. It's not what I would want. No, no, I I would save up, save up for the clone arm, man. 
screw Anakin. I want clone arms. Yeah, it'd probably be bad. I don't think it worked out well for Anakin either in the long run. No, no, it didn't. No, he got a lot yeah. younger and he grew all his hair back at the end of um, Return of the Jedi. So I think he did pretty well. I don't know. I always had a problem with that scene at the end of the Return of the Jedi where, like, Anakin just come back with him. It's like, okay, you got Yoda, who's the noble Jedi Grandmaster. You got Obi-Wan, who always did his best. And then you got Anakin, who murdered a bunch of children. Why does he get to hang out? Just at the end, he was like, ah, I'm about to kick it. My bad, yo. Love you, son. Peace. And died. And then he gets yeah. to hang out. Yeah, I and... know. No, no, no. You, you, you would think, at the very least, all the other Force was like, dude, dude, piss off. Just go. Yeah, go come with the Force yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, so I don't want to look at you be, because you actually killed me. All right? So go. Yeah, that's also the thing. Like, you literally killed me. You, you literally chopped me in half. You D-bag. Get out. But, but, but the Force thinks I'm cool. Well, I don't. Piss. Get out. I, re- I remember Yoda saying that he restored balance to the Force. So apparently Yoda actually knew that restoring balance meant killing lots of innocent children and stabbing other Jedi in the back repeatedly all well, across the universe. Well, apparently Yoda so had a very literal view. good thing. Apparently Yoda had a very literal view of balance where there had to be two Sith and two Jedi and everyone else had to die. <laughs> That's okay. a really funny idea. Yeah, all right, all right. Well, we're going to eject on this because I got, I got one more slide. Yeah, and you got like four minutes. Exactly. So, everyone, uh, tune in tune in for part two in two weeks uh, where I go over astral space, astral projection in astral space, magical items, physical adepts, and your magic attribute. It's your friend and your enemy. Look for it. You know, I'm a, I'm a physical adept. In the sheets, yo. One yeah. thing I would say about um, the lethal physical damage, even though it might be problematic for like combat and that sort of gaming, it does have a nice, almost Cthulhu-esque vibe to it. So if you're going for that kind of gaming, that can really give you something uh, sort of tangible to integrate, the sort of sacrifice you Oh, yeah, yeah. If, if, pain. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you want to have just a dark campaign, like, like your heroes in the world is not just dark like Shadowrun dark, but like Cthulhu dark, you have all Drain be physical, no matter what. Yeah, and that's one of the great things about both the Shadowrun and Earthdawn system is like, you can do magic, but, you know, it's not like the D&D, like, I got my spell slots. This is, oh, you could do it. Go ahead. Go ahead, do that. You could be more powerful if you want. I dare, I dare you. you. <laughs> Like, yeah, I yeah. know your normal spell is kind of weak. You can make that twice as powerful. Try it. Is the first taste free? Uh, no. Rarely. No. No. That's the thing. If you're the, ev- the, you don't need it. If you're ever one of those fights where it's like, oh, we're fighting this horrible thing of evil. If only I had more magic power, I'll unleash the safeties and do it. It's like, oh, you just lost. You've just lost. Even if you kill this thing, you've already lost. It's, it's that bad. But you, you get to, for a brief shining moment, you get to be the pillar of magical power. And if you're looking for that, good job you found it. Hope you're not looking for anything else because you're not going to find that. All you got to do is convince the rest of your team until you inevitably slip into madness that you're still cool and everything's fine. So you're suggesting we've moved from Keanu Reeves in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to Keanu Reeves in Constantine. Yes. Yeah. Con- Constantine is a good one. Yes, magic always has a price. And you have to pay it to play. And if you're not willing to pay it, then you better you better step. You better get out. That wasn't a bad film, Constantine. Actually, it wasn't great, but I don't think it, it was. Bad. It wasn't a good film, but it wasn't a bad film. It wasn't like yeah. Matrix Three. That was a bad film. That was a bad film. You're right. Anyway. All right. 
Thank you very much, uh, Heathen Dog, for that wrap-up. Well, not wrap-up, but that uh, explanation of the magic systems in Shadowrun. I found it entertaining and informative. And if you didn't, shame on you. Shame on you, shame. <laughs> As I, always, I was it... waiting to know what my magic attribute is, though, because the last side says uh, my magic attribute in me, and I was hoping that Heathen Dog would tell me. Oh, that's for, um, next, that's for part two. Yes, that's for part two. That's for part two. So anybody that wants to know their magic needs to come back to you for more. Yes, they, they, they need to get into the chat and ask, and I'll tell them. All right. Well, thank you very much for your wrap -up. As always, if you want more Heathen Dog, and I know you do, you can always check out his streams. He's actually been stepping up quite a bit uh, with Max being forced to work multiple mini hours uh, to slave away for the government. And so in that case... You can always check out his streams. He has his wonderful, brilliant, insightful, exciting, and titillating Star Trek Online uh, featuring the rampant adventures of Fast McCool. Would you like to mention something about that real quick, Heathen Dog? Yes, Buck Fats McCool. He's spreading himself like, I don't know, herpes across the entire galaxy. I would have said butter. Butter? Okay, that's true. That's true. He is the most unhealthy man in Starfleet. So <laughs> I'll give you that. And uh, that is at 11 a.m. Central on Mondays and Thursdays. And to, to help out Max Liao at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays and Fridays, I am streaming uh, Shadowrun Returns. And I am cheating all up in it, cheating all the way through it. Hell yeah. It's great. It's great. And can then, you then cross you... those two streams? Can I cross the streams? O only in a urinal. You can't no. have like a crossover episode where you, you no, never cross cool the streams in that run. situation. No, you never cross the streams in this. No, no. You Do can't. you remember like the old urinals, like in uh, like drive-in theaters, where there were like big troughs and there were like eight of you yes. in a row? Yes. Pontiac Silverdome. You don't see those anymore. There you go. I'm glad you don't see them nope. anymore. You know why? Because you know, they're, yeah. they're pits of disease. <laughs> I'm exactly. glad you don't see that anymore. They you, they never flushed right. You couldn't clean them. No, there's no they flushing. Were awful. This, in the seventies, no, they didn't care they, about things they, like health they, and wellness. All ugh. they cared about was if the building stood and the size of their bell bottoms. That's all they cared about in the seventies. And where the next eight ball was coming from. Booyah. Anyway, thank you very much, Heathen Dog. Uh, but next we have a special feature. Da -da 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 -da. You should all be very excited for. I know I am. Um, frequent commenter, guest, and insightful critic who you've heard so far, Cthulhu Law is ready for you. He is ready to expand your mind and to make you question what existence actually is. So I give you Cthulhu Law and Deadpool and philosophy, the Deadpool killology, and our lack of free will. Good evening, everyone. Good evening! So uh, what I'm talking about is um, a series of miniseries published featuring this character, Deadpool. I don't know who knows who Deadpool is, but I'm Everyone guessing Everyone knows that, who Deadpool is. Yeah, I figure at this point most everybody does. Well, in 2002 and 2013, this guy named Colin, Colin Bunn wrote three Deadpool miniseries. In the first miniseries... Um, Deadpool killed the entire Marvel Universe when he found out that he was a fictional character. How did he find out? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. He was captured by the X-Men and under um, command of Charles Xavier, he was uh, committed to an insane asylum. Unfortunately for the Marvel Universe, (laughs) for the multiverse, for the authors of the comic, and for Deadpool himself, at least most Deadpools, that asylum was a front for Psycho Man. I love Psycho Man. He's so dumb. He's one of those villains who, like, was he originally from the 60s? Yes, yeah. Yeah. uh, Fantastic, I'm guessing, I'm pretty sure. He was a Fantastic Four villain initially in the 60s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was, but he was just one of those villains you kind of question, like, wait, who decided that was a good idea for a power set where he sucks intelligence because physically stronger? Well, he actually has, um, he's actually, ah, forget what it's called, he's from, like, the Microverse, but I don't think it's the Microverse, although it's similar to the Microverse, but I'm not sure that Marvel has the nope. rights to the Microverse no, it, anymore. It is, that's what they called it, the, the, the Microverse. Yeah, I don't know, like I said, I'm not sure, well, whatever, that's where he's from originally, and it's like its namesake, a very, very small place. And the white and green figure that you see of the Psycho Man is actually like um, a, a vehicle that this really small little dude in the head pilots. And Except he has... he's even smaller than the head piloting dude you saw in Men in Black. Yes, he's even smaller, right? He's really, he's like micro head pilot. He's even smaller than the guys you saw piloting the head in Doctor Who. Ooh, that was a good one. That was worth some good episodes. Anyway, oh, sorry. I, 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 think he's about that, I think he's about that small. I thought he was smaller than that. Those guys were small. Anyway, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, sorry. Quite all right. So, I mean, you know, his lameness is, you know, up to you to decide. And, and I'm not going to defend him. But uh, he was put to uh, very interesting use in this because he's got this device that would allow him to control people's emotions slash minds. And he tried to use it on Deadpool. Well, Deadpool didn't just have his mind. Deadpool, back many years ago, um, not in his initial appearances in the uh, New Mutants and later in X-Force, but sometime after that, he was turned into this character who always breaks the fourth wall and talks to the audience and and has voices in his head. But honestly, he's not the first character in the Marvel Universe to do that. She-Hulk was doing that long before he was. Right, she. I mean, you got She-Hulk not back as successfully. In the I'm not going to say. Yeah. yeah, and you had Howard the Duck back in the uh, at least in the 70s when Gerber was first writing him, and, and Howard the Duck even got a movie before Deadpool did. That's true. It wasn't nearly as good though. But Howard the I, Duck I have actually. A soft spot for it. I have, well, I was a kid when I saw it, so I kind of do too. But the Howard Duck movie failed on so many levels because it actually didn't really respect the source material. They were afraid to actually, like, show what made Howard the Duck cool and interesting in those original 70s comic books. And rightly so, because it was not a children's story. Well, no, it definitely would not have been. It should not have been a children's movie. No, it, it was kind of weird. when I, I saw it as a child, and there were parts, there was humor in it that I think appealed to me, even though I didn't understand it at the time. But it was kind of mysterious and enticing. And I don't mean the fact that one of the characters was played by a child molester, but that well, no other... one knew that at the time, you know. He was also in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He was cool in that film. Sure. I mean, I, I, I you know, yeah, he's been in lots of movies. I, I still, you know, enjoy yeah. him as a performer. But but there was a vibe in the movie. Like, remember, um, what's her name? The the uh, 
wannabe girlfriend, she finds a condom in Howard's wallet. Yeah. As a child, I didn't know what that was. And I specifically remember trying to figure it out. And I honestly believed for many years that what she found was duck money. Oh, that makes sense. But also, that's even not even anatomically correct that ducks have cloaca anyway. We have gone on a insane tangent. I am pulling us back. Eject. Eject. <laughs> this insane tangent should be committed to the same asylum in which Psycho Man tried to treat Wade Wilson. Oh, applause. Tr- applause. Yeah, beautiful. Excellent. Beautiful. Excellent. Carry on, please. When he tries to treat Wade Wilson, Wade Wilson comes to terms with the voice in his head. And the voice in his head makes clear to Wade that Wade is actually the only sane person in the reality Wade has known. Well, actually, haven't they actually explored that in the comics where they said that Dead was it Deadpool? One of the characters actually suffers from high. Oh, that's Joker. Sorry, I was thinking of Joker who actually suffers from hypersanity in some universes. I have heard that explanation for Joker before. And, and you could think about this in a similar way. I, I'm no psychiatrist, but in terms of hypersanity, they present this in the story in a similar fashion, and that he is the only fully sane person because he's the only person who realizes he's a fictional character. Right. When I read this in my day job, I teach philosophy. So I thought that this was really interesting, first of all, because anytime you can have kind of crazy superhero hijinks ensue and be doing something a little more interesting, you, you have my attention. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, so there's actually a series of books called Various Pop Culture Things in Philosophy. And it's really fun, I think, because it mixes things like Deadpool and philosophy. So when I read this, the first thing I thought of was, well, wait a sec. Deadpool realizes that he's not free because he's a fictional character. And it really sends Deadpool off the rails, right? He goes on this huge killing spree. And I thought that was kind of interesting because for thousands of years, philosophers have been pointing out that we're not free. That is true. I, there's also the idea that, um, like as a child, you think anything you're not looking at might not exist. So you're like, you try and catch something, but it might go through your head, like, man, if I look real quick, I'll catch it. You know, that's kind of thing, like, if I can't observe it, how do I know it's actually there? How is it actually real? <coughs> but actually, according to quantum physics, they've actually proven that if something actually isn't being observed, it actually doesn't exist at that time. No, no quantum magic. No quantum magic. Oh, I love Stop quantum it. physics. Come on. Stop well, it. Well, let, actually, let's come back to quantum at the end because yes. one of the potential solutions to the free will problem, which we touch on, is that causality works in the opposite direction that we experience time. But we'll set that aside. Yes. Now, when Deadpool realizes he's not free, he goes and he kills all the Marvel Universe. And it's fun. Like It's really fun watching him kill Spider-Man and Thor and figuring out ways to kill the Avengers. And I mean, some of it's kind of hokey. You're like, well, that wouldn't really work. Yeah, yeah but, but, but but why do you do it? What, what, was, his, what was his motivation to do it? Just because just he was fictional? That doesn't seem like a motivation to kill everybody else. Well, he, he kind of snaps and he thinks that um, he needs to show people that they're not free and that all of their heroism and everything they spout off on is BS. Right. And that we're all just slaves to the audience. And at the end of that first book, he actually leaves the book and he uh, goes and kills the comic creators. They show up on the last two pages of the first miniseries. 
And if you have a psychotic break where all of a sudden you think everyone around you is just paper cutouts, no one is real, then there is no consequence for destroying them. You're only stopping this horrible game being played on you. And that's exactly stuff that he says many times. He tells he says to Wolverine, your superpower isn't regeneration, it's super popularity. Right. So right. after in the second series, after he's killed off the entire all of the superheroes in the Marvel universe and even the creators of the book, he has realized that he's still around and there's still a universe and there are all these alternate universes. And he gets the idea that the real source of the problem is in these um, archetypal fictional characters. So he has to go and kill the Little Women, and he has to go and kill Moby Dick and Frankenstein and Sherlock Holmes and all of these, you know, literary giants. Um, and he thinks that once he kills all of them, then finally the universes he operates in will be free of being slaves to the audience or he'll be able to die or something like that, you know? Right. If nothing else, it's a way to gain some sort of freedom, some change. Exactly. And of course he does all that and he realizes that he's still just a puppet. So his, um, that series ends and the next miniseries picks up. And what you see is that, um, there is, um, a universal core of Deadpool. There are hundreds, thousands, in theory, maybe millions of Deadpools, including my absolute favorite Deadpool, which is called Panda Pool, the species that endangers you. Yeah, I like that one. Okay. So th this is, is a, a multi-universal, you know, like there's a Deadpool in every universe, just a little bit different each time. This is exactly right. And if you're familiar with the Captain Britain Corps in the Marvel Universe, it's basically that, but with Deadpools. Right, and the whole point of the Captain Britain Corps is actually to keep universal stability. Deadpool's, pro I, I presume his, his whole role would be the opposite. Right, I would think so as well. Now, in this last miniseries, Deadpool Kills Deadpool, this is the final chapter in what's called the Deadpool Killology. In this book... Um, you find out that the Deadpool you read every month in the regular Marvel comics is not the same as the Deadpool that went on this giant killing spree. And the Deadpool that went on this giant killing spree has assembled like a group of other Deadpools with him, and they're hunting down and killing all the dead, other Deadpools in reality because he has realized basically what, um, Garth, and what you were saying a minute ago, that everybody else in the universe must be fake and he's the only real thing and if he's the really only real thing then he must be the source of it all he must be the source of all of this enslavement and lack of freedom so he, he's trying to kill himself but his self there's you know many many versions of himself so he's trying yeah. to kill all of them plus you know killing all <laughs> killing himself is hard enough killing everyone else is just like him wow well that was a jet lee film yeah, it's actually very similar to that Jet Li film, The One. Yeah, it, it's very, very similar. And it kind of plays out in a similar way where the fewer there are, the more powerful they get, sort of. Yeah, right. Quick side note of that. The last line of that film is actually one of my favorite lines in all movies. That's where he's on top of the pyramid fighting the, the endless waves, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he has to fight the endless wave. And they're going to say, they're on top of he's going to kill him. And he says, they're like, who are you? I am Hula, and I am no one's bitch. You are all my bitches. 
<laughs> That's right. I forgot. That is a great line. I love well, it. And, you know, he says it through that thick Chinese Ula. accent. It's just beautiful. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, so now, so that's how the, the, the setup for the Deadpool. Now, how does this relate to philosophy? Well, philosophers have, through three different avenues at different sort of points in the history of human civilization, come to a similar conclusion that we lack free will. The first goes back to the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. Now, Aristotle, he did slash invented lots of stuff. I mean, everything yes. from arguably the natural sciences to literary criticism. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, the span of his right. work. There are a lot of people who think that uh, Aristotle is probably credited with more things than he did. But even if he, even if he was only, only, even if he only did half of the things he's credited with, he's still a way one of the smartest guys who ever lived. Exactly. Um, and, and one of the things that he's credited with is is the development of formal logic, the world's first formal logic system. And applying that logic system, he thought that the future is predetermined, and in, in, in the following way. He said, consider this statement. There will be a sea battle off the shore of Greece next week. Now, as soon as I say that today, right now it's either true or false. Just like if I were to say, uh, in two hours, I will go to the bathroom. That sentence, that statement is either true or false because every statement is either true or false. Now, I personally may not know whether it's true or false, Even but that though. doesn't change the fact that it is, which seemed to indicate he thought that logic demands that the future, you know, the sea battle, um, in a sense, is predestined. Right, because in some way it must be if whether or not you, uh, you say it is or isn't doesn't change whether it is or isn't. But your statement is either true or false when said. Right. If it's true right now that there will be a sea battle there in a week, well, then it doesn't really matter what you think you decide with your free will in the meantime. Likewise, if it's false and there really isn't going to be a sea battle there next week, again, it's false now. So it doesn't really matter what goes on in the meantime. Very true. Of course, you can always argue that with the, uh, ideas such as uh... – multi-universality uh, and influencing of timelines based on perspective of those actually participating in them and that all things actually happen simultaneously. So, but yeah, well, yeah. understanding with, with uh, temporal time of uh, going logically one second per second, then you have no idea, but if it actually is already determined, yes, your statement is already true or false. Sorry. Well, well let me, well, yeah, in, in the nature of causality is hard to, you can only go so far with this question without getting into what causality means. And, that's and kind we of don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. <laughs> that's why I think it comes it, – it, we'll talk about it at the end because the second version um, is a version you fast forward about seven or 800 years, and you get the medieval philosopher, Christian philosopher, St. Augustine of Hippo. I'm actually a big fan of his. Yeah, so, I mean, brilliant, amazing philosopher. Um, now, as I said, he's a saint and he's a Christian, and, you know, he – developed most of what most people think of as being fundamental elements of Christianity. And what he did was he would 
consider the implications of those things logically so that he could explain it to a world that was more um, strongly influenced by the Greeks, like Aristotle, than it was by the Christians. Because it was not like today where Christianity is sort of the norm in the background for a lot of the world. Then when he was writing, Christianity was like the new thing and people kind of had to be sold on it. Right. So, um, Augustine did a great job actually in reconciling uh, both science and religion together to say that, okay, if there, if in the Bible it says that the walls of Jericho fell and scientifically you discovered that an earthquake happened at the same time, well, God caused that earthquake. You know, basically draw logical conclusions based off of the fantastic. Well, and one of the things that he thought God possessed or did or one of the, the many perfections or tributes was he thought that God is all-knowing. So he thought God knows today what you're going to have for dinner tomorrow night or a year from now tomorrow night, etc., etc. Since God knows that right now, it seems to seriously endanger free will. Now, Augustine thought he had a way out of that problem, but most, even many religious thinkers who examined it, and certainly all non-religious thinkers who look that, would think that that means that you can't have meaningful free will if you believe in the sort of God that St. Augustine believes in. Now, that's the second major category um, of thinking that endangers free will. And I find it really fascinating that originally free will was seen as a logic problem then free will is seen as a religious problem. You fast forward to the 20th century and free will is really seen, and even in the 21st century to a lesser extent, is really seen as a scientific problem. And the nature of this lies in the way that we think about science. If we think about what science does, science describes a mechanistic universe. If I move my arms while I'm playing billiards or while I'm playing pool, that moves the that causes the cue um, the stick to move, which the force from that is what causes the cue ball to move. The cue ball hitting the other balls causes them causes them to move, et cetera, et cetera. And that causal story, that causal chain, goes all the way back, right? We don't think of in this mechanistic scientific picture of the world that there are magic occurrences, things that just pop up uncaused. So it's hard to see how free will could fit into such a universe. And in particular, in the 1980s, this neuroscientist named Benjamin Labette, he conducted these experiments where he asked people to look at a light and decide whether to turn it on or off. And he was recording uh, their brains with an EEG and what he found was that the neural activity corresponding with the decision occurred before the people recorded or reported having the conscious thought to turn the light on and off, which seems to cast serious doubt on whether or not we, as some sort of conscious entities, were actually making a decision expressing free will to turn this light on and off. Or was it just something that happens? Okay, so you're you're saying that uh, um, the, the the decision to turn the light on or off 
was made before they actually completed thinking about turning the light on or off. So what made that decision? Was it uh, past experience? Was it the temperature of the room right then? Was it the color of the light that was going to be or the lights that are on now? So all of that stuff influenced their decision. So they didn't actually make the decision. The, 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 the place they were in, all their experiences they had before actually made the decision for them? Well, it gets really cloudy. And what I mean by that is there's two, when we think about this, we tend to think so naturally that there is an us, like we're some kind of separate conscious pilot in our body. Well, the more we learn about neuroscience, the fewer and fewer places there can be for some little sort of spirit, soul, mind, homunculi pilot of a body. So what actually, it, it, it more raises into a question whether or not there is anything that's you separate than what your brain and body do. So you can record what goes on in the brain when somebody decides to turn on or off a light. And then you ask them, so you, you, you record that, you've got a baseline, you know what to look for, like, okay, this part of the brain does this, or maybe all these parts, whatever, when a person turns the light switch on or off. Now I'm going to ask that person to decide whether or not to turn the light on or off, and I'm going to ask them to tell me when they make their decision. And I'm going to be recording what goes on in their brain. So he showed, I forget, it was like a few hundredths of a millisecond consistently before a person reported that they had thought that they had decided to do it, the part of their brain associated with making that decision had already done its work. So it seems as though this physical process was taking place and the reporting of it as a decision was more of an after effect than a cause. Right, that even lines up if you look at, uh, I hate to say it, in quantum theory again. Stop it, no! In that all things happen at the same time. Time is an illusion. So because that light needed to be on, that causality would create that at some point you would have to turn it on. And because that is true, you turn it on. And, and honestly, there is no consensus about how you can save the idea of free will if you're a materialist. So, so this gets into the notion of the nature of consciousness. I mean, it seems like there's no clear explanation of what free will is or clear account under which we have free will. So the sort of default position of philosophy is that, yeah, Deadpool's kind of right and we're all puppets. You're either a puppet of God or you're a puppet of the laws of nature, but you're probably not this amazing super magical thing. So then you are not a unique and beautiful snowflake. Right. And, and then you have philosophers that work on consciousness and there's two broad categories. One are the materialists. And they think that everything that exists is somehow physical material. There's no spirit, mental, magical, non-physical stuff. Now, energy counts as physical, right? It's all, it's all somehow physical, right? We, we can record it. It interacts 
with the rest of, of the universe and it behaves according to laws of physics, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have the other group and there, there's variations of course, but they're some kind of dualists. So they think there are two kinds of stuff in reality. There's material stuff like our bodies and matter and all that kind of thing. And then there's something else, this other stuff, this weird consciousness stuff, this mental stuff. And each camp has its problems. The consciousness people, the dualists who believe that, that there's some kind of consciousness or mental stuff so we can have free will, they've never been able to explain how it works. And they've never been able to show how it interacts with a universe that according to everything else we know, everything else we look at according to science, we see a chain of causality. We see a mechanistic universe, right? In its broad, broad outlines, it's still kind of Newtonian in that, you know, thing X happens, it causes thing Y, thing Y happens, it causes thing Z, et cetera, et cetera. The other can Well, in, you know, we, it really what it does, we, like you're saying, it takes us into all these other questions. What are we, what does it mean to be free will? What does it mean to make a decision, et cetera, et cetera. So, and in some of the responses are that, well, maybe our free will is the ability to tell ourselves no, and maybe this doesn't work as well when we do more complicated things. Now, Deadpool's reaction, as you can see in the last slide, is uh, firmly falls in the absurdist camp um, where he basically just uses the mind-numbing, soul-crushing realization that nothing's ever going to change, never get any better, and that's how he gets dates. Yeah, he's, he's actually come... Well, yeah, he's, he's actually come to accept that, yes, there's nothing he can do, everything he does is already preordained, that... The only the only alternative is to do what the what the D bag Deadpool did was murder everyone. Then there's then there's no one else. Then there's just you, and that's horribly boring. So yeah, I get it. Yeah, and he talks about you know if in the book it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the best ending ever. I'm not sure if the ending's as good as the concept, but it's a pretty good ending. You know, he basically just as says, you know, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm the all-powerful God of the universe and whatever, but eh, so what? What's the difference, right? I mean, if it makes no difference, it makes no difference. If whether I have free will or not, either I have to do this or I choose to do this, but I'm going to do it anyhow, so let's get on with it. Yeah, and you, you have two different schools of philosophers. One's an ancient school, um, the Stoics, and then one, another was a 20th century school called the Existentialists. And factions of both of them thought that 
basically, yeah, you, you can't change anything. You, you, in a sense, don't have freedom, or at least you have no control. Um, so all you can really do is control how you feel about it. So put a smile on your face, have a blast, grab another drink, be cool to one another. If Camus wouldn't enjoy Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, then really what's the point of having Camus? I had a mouthful of coffee when you said that, so I almost spit it all over my computer. I mean, yeah, that that's absolutely my favorite kind of of stuff like we what do we talk what do you guys talk about on the show you talk about comics and movies and video games and i just completely adore a good um classical pulp fiction sort of story not not i don't mean like tarantino i like that too but you know give me superheroes fighting villains yeah you know that sort of like like you don't have to reinvent the wheel for your plot and your characters give me the same old tropes uh, watch superman save the world for the hundredth time if you can give me that in a pleasing way and then give me something to think about if i'm still thinking about it 10 minutes after i drop the book or a day after i'm done reading the book like i mean what else do I need? That's awesome. And, and you get that in Deadpool. I mean, you get Pandapool. He, right? I mean, this is, oh, this still makes me laugh. He's the species that endangers you. It's pure absurdity. And then it's, you know, you can think about it later. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I haven't read all of Deadpool. Um, I mean, there's so many books now, but I've certainly enjoyed a bunch of it. I didn't even know he was in that book. I'm a little behind in my reading. Nice. Well, listen, this seems like a good point for me to like fade into the background so we can focus on comics. Before we do that, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And, you know, I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm happy to talk about this stuff anytime. What? Easy. Okay.
my pleasure. Seriously, this is fun. Yay! Right, I love that... you. No, I love you. No, I love no, you. No. <laughs> All right, everyone. No, it's, it's become a circle jerk. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's get on to our final segment where we talk about the comics, where we have some fun. It, ladies and gentlemen, is. Yes, Garthoff's comic poll. That's my favorite intro. I love that. So let's talk about three big books this week. First up, Power Man and Iron Fist, number 13. Uh, this was written uh, by the standard writer, David F. Walker. The cover is by Sanford Green, who's been the artist for the first 12 issues for the first year of the book. Um, but the interior art is actually done by Elmo Bondock. And that's where I start having a disconnect. He's not bad. He is good. But it's not the same. He lacks that kind of street-level energy that Sanford Green was able to pull in. So it just, it just feels less authentic, honestly, to me. And I really miss that art, that rougher, more street art kind of thing he had going on. Um, Elbonic's not bad, and he has, does a good job almost emulating the style, but it's very different. The way he sets up panels is different. The way he sets up a scene is different, and I really miss Sanford Green. And also, David F. Walker, I think after issue 14, is leaving the series to go do the Luke Cage series. Because the... they're starting a Luke Cage series and a Iron oh, Fist okay. series independently. And that worries me greatly, because this series has thrived under those two guys. One is already gone, and I know the writer's leaving. And I don't know if I could do that. Mom and Dad are getting a divorce. I know, it hurts me very deeply. Yes. It'll be an adventure. It will be an adventure, but say I'm going to hold on to a few issues after that, see if it's still good. If it's still good, I'll hold on. If it's not, I'll ditch it. Um, much Do you like, know who the next creative team is? No, I don't actually. They haven't announced it as far as now. I'm guessing Elmo Bondak is going to be still there. I don't know who the writer's going to be. He's he's not going to be as good as your real dad. That's true. Yes. I don't know. My he stepdad be was actually better than my real dad. dad. could be a schmuck. Yeah, trust me. I know that one. Oh, sadness tear. All right, so Ooh, let's go there now. <laughs> let's no, psychoanalyze. No, no, let's Garfield. move on. Let's move no, on. No, let's that. move on. All right, uh, in this issue, Jessica Jones, aka Spider Woman, whose series sucks, uh, left with Danielle, uh, who is uh, Luke Cage's daughter. Luke isn't taking it well. Basically, uh, Jessica Jones. All right, Jessica. Sorry, Jessica Jones's wife. I'm thinking of the uh, Spider Woman, Jessica. Anyway, uh, so Drew. Jessica yes, Jessica Drew. Drew thank you. But Luke Cage's wife has left him and taken their daughter. That actually didn't happen in the comic. I don't know where that happened. I think that happened in the Christmas special, but they didn't flesh it out very well, maybe. Wait, wait. Did you say their daughter got kidnapped? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Uh, she, she left and took took their daughter with her. Yes. Like divorced left? Uh, more Not divorced, but kind of trial separation? No, right. more, more, like, okay. more, like, more like she got fed up and left. Yeah, because he had actually quit superhero stuff for a while so they could have a normal life. And then uh, Danny Rand, uh, Iron Fist, kind of like convinced him to get back into it so they could be a team. And uh, Jessica He's was never... Yoko. 
Yeah, Jessica was never fully against it. She was like, you know, this isn't a good thing, but, you know, I know you're going to do it. You need to do it. Honestly, that turn of events of Jessica Jones leaving with the daughter, to me, seems really contrived. Nowhere in this series has it been leading up to that. That is just a sh- out-of-the-blue issue. And to me, it smacks of an editorial team saying, hey, we're going to give Jessica Jones her own series. It'll work better if she had left you for a while. You know, that's what it smacks of to me. Lame. Okay. Sounds good. That's my opinion. But uh, in this issue, uh, you find out that Jessica Jones has left Luke Cage. Uh, Danny's trying to be there for him. Yeah, it's just some nice, you know, bro moments between them, you know, supporting each other. But the main thrust of this issue is that Alex, I forget his last name, um, has become uh, of the exiles who has been trying to move in on Harlem territory, trying to become like the new gang boss there, who is taking a he- uh, tombstone head on and t- tearing down his operations. Is uh, tombstone uh, in the last issue? Figure this out. Crit caused a trap, killed a whole bunch of Alex's dudes. Killed a whole bunch of uh, other gang members. Um, so with this issue, Black Mariah convinces Alex that he could easily take over everyone's operation if he's willing to get the power of the Super Soul Stone, which was a magic item that actually concerned the first story arc of the series, where the Super Soul Stone actually started ended up controlling their former secretary and turning her super evil by giving her super demon powers and took everything they had to stop her and get the super soul stone. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop. I hate it when that happens. Super soul stone. Seriously? Yes. They couldn't think of a better name for that thing? Actually, it's named that on purpose because they do a lot of references into how this is a street magic item uh, so that Doctor Strange would even concern himself with. But it has a lot of power, but it's rough. It's like chaos magic. And so the people who made it in the 1970s, when it was developed, that's what they named it, the Super Soul Stone. I like to imagine that some of the same characters that were responsible for The Last Dragon are also responsible for this. Oh my god, I love that film. It's horrible, I love it. Right, you get a lot of Last Last Dragon vibes in this book. Uh, there are a lot of callbacks to a lot of 70s black exploitation movies and like some of the 80s ones, The Warriors, The uh, the Last Dragon, things like that. And that's one of the reasons I love the writing the of the series. Can you dig it? So, when I say who's the master, you say show enough. <laughs> the show enough, the showgun of Harlem. <laughs> yes. He was awesome. I love it. I love it. He, he, oh my God, he was he was a very very skinny tall man, but he he wore the he wore that the that that that, that, that uh, football thing yeah. to make himself pads. look thicker. That yes. was awesome. Yeah, that was really a, big hair. Yes, he did, and uh, you get a lot of vibes from that in this book, and that's one of the beautiful things about it. Um, it's almost an homage to a lot of those old things, but it's also very modern. And it just does a great job tying it all together. And that's why I'm really worried about David Walker leaving. Um, anyway, so at the end of this, Alex Jones beats up Mr. Magico, or Senior Magico, uh, gets the Super Soul Stone, and is actually able to quell the demon. And so he ends up like this, this half-demon, half-human hybrid thing. And you just know it's going to go badly from there. So 
the book has taken a weird turn from turf wars and protecting each other to like weird magic stuff. Well, then you get started with weird magic stuff, but now it's like a whole other level when you're bringing like the exiles into it. I'm not super excited about where it's going. You know, uh, I've loved this book for the first 12 issues, and it was one of my favorite series. But now I'm starting to worry about the bloom coming off the rose, especially with the creative team leaving. And I really miss the days where a creative team would stick with a book for like three or five years. And that just doesn't happen anymore. So are you worried that this rose will now get its thorn? <laughs> well, every rose has its thorns. But now they're going to poke us all. Yeah, so... I don't know. The art isn't bad, it just isn't what it was. And I shouldn't judge it on that. But I honestly don't think it has that wonderful dynamic energy that Sanford Green brought. And that hurts the book. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. It's neat, it's interesting, but there's just too many little things going wrong with it. It kind of feels like the beginning of the end. And that saddens me, honestly. So 3 out of 5 for Power Man and Iron Fist number 13. And this is a book that consistently was at least a 4 every other issue. So it's not good. I can dig it. <laughs> Next up, we're going to talk about New Superman, number eight. Uh, new Superman follows the life of Kong Keenan, who is the new Superman of China. It's been a really interesting series, something I thought that would have been full of stereotype and just silliness, but it's actually great at standing on its own, and I've been very surprised. Um, art is by Billy Tan, uh, written by uh, Jean Long Yang, so it has a lot of Asian people working on it, which... I guess in one way you could say, oh, let me make all the Asian people with the Asian Superman. But another way, it actually brings this air of authenticity to the book that you wouldn't probably get from an all-American team, you know? They're actually relying off their old real-life experiences where an American team would be working off of, well, I, I saw this in Chinatown in San Francisco once, you know? So, Wait, uh, are you saying do these people actually not live in America? Like, are they not American citizens, or are they just culturally... I mean, uh, they're uh, Asian American, as we say. I mean, like their families are, you know, from from what I've read, um, they're American, but their families are very tied to the old world, as it is. Okay, and is that Batman all over the cover of this Superman book? Yes and no. Um, uh, going back, what has happened is China's Ministry of not defense. Anyway, one of China's ministries has gone and created their own version of the Justice League, or they're working on it. Because a lot of Chinese citizens get all this information about um, like Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and all that stuff going on. It's like, oh, superheroes are so great. And China's government's like, we can't have these people idolizing Western heroes. That does not help us. So they started to form their own team. Um, they actually have like a Gotham Training Academy, they call it, uh, where they train someone to become Batman. Gotham? Yes. In the current continuity, do they still have Batman Incorporated, and do they still have the Great Twelve, the Chinese uh, Great Supreme? Ten. The Great Ten does still Great exist. Ten. Thank you. Uh, the Great Ten is actually at odds with the uh, the Super Ministry, 
in that they're like, wait, you didn't tell us you were doing this. Where are your super team? And they're always like, yes, Great Ten, we know, we know. But the Chinese government has felt that the Great Ten isn't directly under their control enough. So it's actually they actually have brought up a few times where like August General in Iron is really ticked at these guys. They are not friends. Okay. So it's been nice they've been bringing that up. Um, but also the oh, what was the first part of the question? The Batman Incorporated, where they had like a different Batman for right. lots uh, of different countries. And Batman stuff. Incorporated itself has collapsed in a New Fifty Two Rebirth. It doesn't even exist. But okay. those characters, but those characters are still out there. Um, there actually was a issue of Batman where he teamed up with the Chinese Batman from Batman Incorporated. Not this guy, but the Batman Incorporated Chinese Batman. But he's never mentioned in this series, so I don't know if they further after Rebirth they write him out completely because he was there in New Fifty Two. But Batman Incorporated okay. is gone. I liked Batman Incorporated. That was a neat idea, you know. I liked it. I had fun reading it, yeah. Some yeah. of it was pretty cool. Especially, like, the Hong Kong Batman. Like, he was cool. Yeah, but he's kind of gone now. But, uh... This is uh, Training Day Part 2, they call this. It's actually very interesting because... It's a lot of... Well, there's some backstory going on. Like, you find out that the original... That China's Batman, he's, he's very young. Maybe early 20s, probably. He's a genius, but there's been this Gotham Training Academy going on where China's been training someone to become a Batman. And the guy who scored second on the aptitude test was not chosen. Uh, the guy, uh, Hong Si, I think his name is, who became China's Batman, was actually the third-ranking candidate. So the second-ranking candidate all ticked off and ends up challenging him uh, to a one-on-one -on -one fight for control of the Batman mantle, he agrees to it. But then everything, like, they go to this, like, 2D, this 3D simulation holodeck room, and, like, it seems like the... It becomes very one-sided in that you realize the... It seems like the computer program itself is actually working against uh, Hongxi, the current the Chinese Batman. Uh, so the current Chinese Wonder Woman sees this going on, goes to the server room, and finds someone dressed in a strange costume who you see on the image here in like this weird llama costume and she calls herself the alpaca it's like why are you doing this and she and the alpaca says why not now that might sound oh, weird she's the chinese joker sort of actually yes ends up being that way but <laughs> yeah, why cool. you're but you question yourself why an alpaca well uh that's actually an interesting reference to the grass mud horse or uh, uh, it's which is a Chinese internet meme, which is used as form of symbolic defiance against widespread internet censorship in China. Uh, because the Mandarin words uh, literally means F your mother. Um, <laughs> That's spectacular. <laughs> but the words actually sound almost the same because Chinese, like the word la or na, depending how you say it, means not You can say na, na, and they're different words. But another way to say that is mud, I mean, sorry, is grass, mud, horse. And the image for the grass, mud, horse has become the alpaca. So these people like spray paint alpacas on things, you know. So 
it's just this weird thing that's actually a big internet meme in China, which is used to uh, complain about internet censorship. And so she actually is using the alpaca costume, calling herself the alpaca, and has become. And at the end, you. I don't want to spoil like who you find. You actually find out her secret identity and her motivations, and it's actually really interesting. But you find out that this girl actually was the number one candidate to become China's Batman, but she was denied it because she was a girl. And she ends up becoming the alpaca, who probably is Ch- the Chinese Batman's going to be Joker. Uh, you can tell by the you know the red face and I mean the white face and the red lipstick and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Right. So it's actually really interesting how they set all this up. Um, at the means, at the same time, um, Kong Keenan, China's new Superman, he's been having some. He's since the beginning, he's been having a lot of problems with his powers. Like he'll be invulnerable and then he won't. He'll be super strong and then he won't. And eventually, he gets sent to this uh, Chinese. Uh, they call him I Ching, which is Chinese for the way. Um, this martial arts, you know, mystic master to train under. And he finds the guy, like, training in a mini-mall, right? He's like, I cannot get trained from idiot in a mini-mall with all these people learning learning Tai Chi. This is not going to happen. I'm freaking Superman. And the guy, just a typical, you know, I love it because it's kind of an old Chinese movie thing. It's like, if you can strike me eight times. Or he said, well, wait, it's, if you strike me once, I will train you. But if I strike you eight times, you need to leave and tell them you failed. He's like, what? You have, but we both have to be blindfolded. He's like, this is easy. I'm Superman. And of course, the guy just owns him, dodges every attack, you know, just keeps smacking him over and over again. So the Chinese Superman does not have X-ray vision? Not as such. Not yet. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, the Chinese Superman has been told that his powers rely on his focus, like his his uh, key, his chi, forming up inside of him. And he has to learn how to focus that to get strength or speed or laser vision, right? And is this like the Legion of Superheroes guy who can only use one of Superman's powers at a time, or can he still use all of them? He actually, the well, they have they have shown him using multiple powers at the same time. He's just not sure how he does it when he does it. And this issue, they actually go on this great explanation of the tetragrams of the I Ching and like how each of them means a different thing. And how his symbology of the S actually works through that and, and is in a, like, the pattern you have to go through to unlock these different chi abilities he has, essentially. So essentially, it's very, I mean, if it was coming from, like, a, like, some white dude writing it, I'd probably say, you know, it's really stereotypical that he has to use chi to this. But coming who it's coming from, you gotta say, okay, it's a cultural thing, I'll let it go. But I actually really like it, how he has to unlock everything through focus, meditation. But there's actually kind of like an unlock your chakras pattern of it. Like, step one is strength. Uh, the next thing, after you get strength, you could unlock invulnerability. After that, you could unlock flight. After that, and so there's this like pattern he has to go through. And at the end, because the guy... The guy actually kind of tricks him during when they're fighting. He's like, you can't get me because you can't hear me. You need to focus to hear. So he actually stops... And for the first time, tries to refocus his chi into his ears to get super hearing. And it just goes nuts. And he hears everything around him. People arguing miles away. And it he, he just wants it to stop, right? So he ends up, like, just taking off. 
and like a kid's about to get hit by a car, and he stops the car. And there's the injured driver, so he helps the driver. At the end of it, the Chinese master finds him again and says, I thought you'd be here. And he's like, okay. Essentially, it becomes he wants the Chinese master to train him. Even though he's, he's like, but you're mistaken. I'm not Superman. I'm a bad person. Superman, he's like, and guy's like, I followed up on you. You saved at least a dozen people last night alone. That sounds like something a Superman would do. He's like, I only did it so the noise would stop. And did it? Well, yeah. It's like, that doesn't matter. You say you did it to make the noise stop. You did it because it was the right thing to do. No, he did it because the noise stopped, because he's Chinese, he's communist, and America first, make America great again. Okay. Uh, well, actually, there's a, there's a very interesting undertone in this comic book where a lot of it is, they're working for the Chinese ministry, and they do a, a lot of, you know, the Chinese government is right, but also there's this really strong undertone of all these people in this team that keep being told, you need to look what's going on around you. The ministry is not helping China. There's a very strong undertone of this, and it's really well written. It's not so subtle. You got to look for it deeply and say, "Oh, I see here." No, it's not that subtle, but it is very nicely done, where it's not completely overt, because the characters still believe in the Chinese government. But you can see that some of them, their belief is starting to slip a little bit you know, with things that are going on. Uh, in the chat room, they say Chinese key is like force in Star Wars. Yes, exactly. So. It is very interesting book. I've been I've been enjoying almost every issue, some more than others. It's a very different take. I like the character, and what's interesting in the Superman book, uh, if you'll recall, last week when that force that guy was rounding up all the supermen from all the worlds, they didn't round up Clark Kent. They rounded up Kong Keenan. So I, I did like that touch because the current. Clark Kent in this world is actually from pre-New 52, so he's actually an interloper in our in that world. So well, I like he's that. He's the better version. Yeah, so I could argue that at all. No, um, no. The real Superman, not the, not yes, the, not no. the D-bag that died. Right, I'm not... Wait, are you saying the, the Silver Age Superman is back? Yes, Silver Age John Byrne Superman is back. Wait, I think John Byrne, wasn't that the post-crisis Superman that replaced the Silver Age Superman? Oh, gosh, it's so confusing. Uh... Yeah, but that well, was before I heard the second crisis. The real one. Which one did he mean? It's, it's, it the is the John Byrne one. Superman who's back. Um, he's married to Lois Lane. They have a son. Wait, how did that make it out of her womb? Because he didn't have superpowers at the time. Ah, okay. How, how would he absorb solar radiation inside the womb? That is an excellent point. Um, also, in this Superman book, uh, where they've been going over it, um, they're actually really confused about Superman's son's powers, in that sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. They're trying to figure out why. Like, he'll be invulnerable getting hit by, you know, a bullet, and then he'll fall out of a tree and get scratched. He'll be able to fly for, like, ten seconds, and that's like when those, oh, hey, I'm flying! Oh, no! And, you know, basically, like, he has to, like, think about his powers for them to work, but he doesn't know how to do that quite yet. They're doing that thing. So, uh, which is actually a lot, okay. sounds like a lot like what they're doing with Kong Keenan, but it's actually very different in that Kong Keenan is a matter of he needs to focus his chi and learn. And, you know, Superman is a matter of maybe it's maturity, maybe it's in the genes, or maybe it's just a matter of belief. 
Or maybe they're trying to do like the old tactile telekinesis that Superboy had to do. I was going to ask, who's the Superboy now? Or do they still have multiple Superboys? Or the evil pre-crisis Superboy? Like, who, who's Superboy now? DC continuity is so screwed up. They're actually currently... I don't think there is a Superboy right now. Except for uh, Batman's son, who is... Oh, I just forgot his name. Wait, Damien? Damien is... No, Damien is Batman's son. Did I say Batman? Um, Superman's son. I'm whose name I'm trying to remember. Not Connor, right? Connor was an old one. I don't know if he's still around. It might. He was be the Connor. one that had the telekinesis. He right. Was, he was the one that had like the tactile clone. telekinesis. Yeah. It, but he's not around anymore, right? No, he is not. I actually kind of liked him. I liked the Young Justice series. It was fun. He grew on me. I didn't like him at first, back in the Return or the Death or whatever. But eventually, he grew on me. I didn't it like him in Death of Superman. The jacket and sunglasses. Yeah, I didn't like him in the Death of Superman where he had like the shaved sides of his head and the, it was dumb. He was way too 90s for me. All right, but anyway, uh, this was a good book. I liked it. I liked the character development going on. Not a ton of action. Actually, there was a lot in the Batman scene. And I have liked the way they've been showing the Chinese Batman in that uh, boxy. That's his name. He is not, like, super buff, super cut. I work out every day, all day. He's kind of pudgy. And people give him crap for it all the time. Um, But he is smart. Very, very smart. And he thinks on his feet very, very well. And that's why he was made Batman and not the people actually scored higher on the aptitude test. One, he's insanely smart. And two, he never gives up. He always looks for another way. Oh, chat's making me laugh. So, um, I really liked this book. It was a nice setting off point for more adventures to come. Uh, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. Really liked it. Uh, New Superman number 8. I like the setup for the alpaca. Uh, they don't actually explain the whole grass mud horse thing in the book, as they actually kind of had to know. I'm assuming next issue they'll explain it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, no, I really liked it. And one more book, because I'm running long. JLA, Justice League of America, number one. I had to go over this book, because it is exciting. Uh, like... This was basically what I said Just League versus Suicide Squad was leading to. And Batman is forming a new Justice League all on his own. It looks like without the rest of the Justice League even knowing about it. Um, this was written by Steve Orlando, uh, art by Joe Preto and Ivan Rice, same guys who did the cover. Um, this team basically he's forming up consists of Killer Frost, Lobo, Black Canary... Uh, the Atom, the Ray, and Vixen. The idea behind it is Batman has seen what the Justice League has become, and he doesn't want people looking to gods to save them. He wants them looking to regular people who happen to have powers. Guys like the Ray, Black Canary, uh, the new Atom. Um, Except not Lobo. Yeah, Lobo's the one you kind of go, well, how's he... Lobo's the heavy. They need a heavy, you know. All right. But then again, Lobo also fits in the sense that Lobo is not the upright, strong-chinned, truth-justice-in-the-American-way guy Superman is, or Power Girl, or Supergirl, or basically any other heavy hitter you can really get. He's the antithesis of that. He's something that... He is someone the common man relates to. He likes to ride his motorcycle or space hog. He likes leather vests. He likes heavy metal music and smoking cigars. 
you know. And by the way, in that tone, I want to thank DC for still letting Lobo smoke, okay? Because Marvel made it a policy years ago that no one's allowed to smoke in their comics anymore. It's to protect the children. I think people know smoking is bad, but J. Jonas Jameson's had a cigar in his mouth since the 60s, okay? Chanting to have me have a lollipop mouth all the time when some stupid Kojak reference is ridiculous and I hate it. Wolverine, they don't even let him smoke anymore. He's Wolverine, he cannot die. So, I'd like to give DC credit on still letting Lobo smoke. Because he's a badass, he doesn't care what's good for him. Because he's Lobo. Gosh dang. You know, I don't like smoking, it's bad for you. I'm not in any way saying, smoking's cool, kids. But you know what, it fits his dang character. He's always done it, and he's still doing it. And I appreciate that. So, anyway, could they have walkie-talkies in their mouths instead? Ah, oh, nice E.T. reference. <laughs> Thank you, Cthulhu Law. So, um, anyway, this was uh, very much a, I'm getting the team together. Why should I join your team, Batman? Because I need you. Well, okay, Batman. You know, it's a lot of that. Um, Because I'm Batman. Well, when he recruits uh, Black Canary, you know, the first person Black Canary encounters, of course, is Killer Frost. She's like, get out of my town. It's like, wait, I just want to talk to you. No, we must fight now. So Black Canary's trying to beat up Killer Frost, who's you know, not even fighting back, but just defending herself. And Killer Black Canary's like, well, if you're not here, why are you here? Yeah, who are you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm with him, and points up, and the other's Batman. And she's like, why should I join you, Batman? I'm oh, sorry. Why should I join you, Batman? And uh, you know, he basically tells her, you know, you've been with you for a long time. And I need you on this team to give it a balance, to give it a center. And she's like, wait, wait, Batman needs me to be his conscious? His conscience? All right, I'll bite. I thought it was an interesting setup, a little stupid, but nice. Um, the recruitment of Vixen I liked was because under the current setting, uh, this Vixen is the descendant of the previous one. Um, she has all the powers. She's a top uh, worldwide uh, fashion model. And most people give her a hard time about being a superhero. They want her on the runway or doing charity events or all this other stuff. But she is fine with doing, but she feels a need to be a superhero to save people, to make a bigger difference. And so Batman gets her recruits for the team, and she's like, you know, I can't do this. He's like, I need you not only for the team, but to lead it. I need a head of this team. And it actually was a nice moment where he convinced her to join. Because despite all our efforts, by going, I was like, if you want to make a difference, this is how you make it. By showing the world that people can save themselves. They don't need these gods to do it. They don't need these Amazons showing up. They don't need people with extra, extraterrestrial power rings. We can do this. And it was a nice moment. Um, so it was a fun book. I liked reading it. Uh, the art was great. I loved how they framed things. And of course, you have to expect this is a bring the team together book. So it's not going to be... There are going to be that, I don't know why I should work with this guy. There's a couple of moments like that, of course. Um, can, can I just ask one? Of course. Sorry, one quick question. I can't help it. Did you just say that Batman is assembling a team of aliens, super-powered beings, and people with magical items to prove to the world that they don't need a team of aliens, no. super-powered beings, well, and people of with magical people... items to protect them? Um, Let's see. I mean, Lobo's yes. an alien. Killer Frost has powers. Vixen's got a magic amulet. Yep. But Black Canary doesn't, and Adam uses technology. But as well, the thing is, yes. 
But none of these these people are all lower level than the you know, there's no Amazon. There's no um, Martian. Well, there's Lobo. But that's where it kind of falls apart. We're like, as soon as he says, like, but you got Lobo. He's an alien. And he's kind of a murderer. He's the, yeah, he's your Superman, only worse. Right. Yeah, he's like, if you need anyone in the DC Universe who can actually go toe-to-toe with Superman, Lobo was really high on that list. I mean, if you're taking out dyed-in-the-wool-only villains... You know, like Doomsday. Okay, take Doomsday off the list. Take Darkseid off the list. Take those guys off. Who can go toe-to-toe with soups? Well, you got Captain Marvel, you got Lobo, and you got everyone else a super in the front of their name. That's who you got. And, of course, Batman. You can't, you know. But, uh, yeah, that is the setup. And it does kind of fall apart when you say, but, uh, but you could always point to, well, these are all our street-level kind of people. And... In this instance, Vixen, Adam, and Ray are all new to their powers. So you got that element going for it. They're a younger team, you know. Um, Black Canary, Lobo are the veterans. Uh, Killer Frost is somewhat new to her powers, but not really. She's kind of like a lot of people have a problem with Killer Frost because she, you know, well, she's just going by Frost in this because it's hard to be a hero when you're. First I was wondering killer. about that. I'm so glad that they did that. Yeah, yeah, you that can't come up and say, hey, everyone, I'm here to save you. I'm Murder Boy. You know. <laughs> Thanks, Murder Boy. Actually, in DC Universe Online, I, my, I actually created a villain called Murder Lad. So, Because uh, DC likes putting Lad on the other people's names. So I thought Murder Lad would be a good name for a villain. Anyway, um, it was a fun issue. There are obvious plot holes in it. But as a get-the-team-together-in-one-issue type thing, it worked well. Uh, I'll give you a 4 to 5. I really liked it. It has some, like any good comic, has plot holes you could drive a truck through. But it seems like an interesting team. Honestly, I wish that they had put Captain Marvel rather than Lobo, just because he is human. Yeah, he has magic, getting him powers, but he's still a human. Lobo's not. And I just like Captain Marvel. Shazam's awesome. Sorry. He is. Did any of you Captain ever watch Marvel. the... Yeah, well, Shazam. Captain Marvel. DC actually calls him Shazam, Shazam is nowadays. the wizard. I know Shazam is the wizard, and he says Shazam, but his name is Captain Marvel. But I don't care if they messed up their IP. Come on, we, we don't have to I follow know. that. We know who it really is. I know. But the... Uh, did any of you watch, watch the uh, the animated Young Justice series? Um, I've watched some of it. I've, I've not seen all of it. Yeah, I've watched it. The the episodes with Captain Marvel I just freaking love. With Shazam in it, they are just beautiful. Every one of those, I just laugh. I just love them. And because it shows like he very much stands up for truth and justice. and But also, you get a great element of him actually being a kid. You actually get that in there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the idealism of a kid is projected completely into his uh, Captain Marvel persona. Yep. And they actually did a great job in New 52... With Captain Marvel, um, when he was uh, when they first started out, he ended up fighting briefly. He fought Superman. You know what's going to happen? Because he kind they kind of got tricked into fighting each other, of course. And Superman tells him he needs to stop and tries to forcibly stop him. And he reels back and cocks Superman and knocks him back like a mile. And you just see this look in his face, like he at first he's like, "Oh no, I just knocked out Superman." Then he gets this like big smile, like I just knocked out Superman. And then of course, Superman gets back up and comes at him. 
and it just becomes this insane fight. And you can see that because he had just come into the powers at that point, just how amazed he is that he could actually take on Superman. And uh, so I liked it. It was a great moment. But he was cr- uh, just criminally underused in that series, I tell you. Anyway, four to five for this. Liked the book. Look forward to more issues. Um, and since I've canceled my Justice League subscription because it was awful um, ever since Rebirth, New 52 Justice League was good. Right up until after Forever Evil, it kind of tapered off. And then Rebirth Justice League has just been terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I mean, it's the kind of comic book you give to someone who hates comic books so they can raise it up and see how bad comic books are. That's how bad Justice League is. Anyway, um, not the uh, seduction of the innocent bad, but pretty bad. But that is it for Garthon's comic poll. If you have any comments, questions, opinions, um, I might care. You could let us know at Twitter. You could let us know on Facebook. You can let us know on our website, alishamith.com. And if you have any books you think I need to check out, you want my opinion of, so you don't need to come up with it yourself, please let me know. Now it's under RNG. We're talking about other random stuff rolling around the brain stems. So what do you guys got? Oh, I got a good one. I got a good one. I got a uh, black man accused French police of raping him. Police claim it was an accident. Which which brings up a lot of questions of how you accidentally do that. I was desperately hoping that you were going to say the police claimed it was consensual. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I was desperately hoping that too. But no, no. Um, apparently, uh, this man was uh, uh, a bystander. Yeah, th- I'm sorry. This this is in France. Uh, th- this man was a bystander, and uh, he saw French police uh, smacking someone, and he walked over and said, "What the heck are you doing?" And the French police decided that, "Oh, this this man needs our attention now," and took him around the corner, handcuffed him, sat him on the ground, pepper sprayed him. Pulled down his pants and shoved a baton up his mm, butt. Rectum? Yes, yeah, that'll happen. Up his rectum and uh, damaged it so much that he required major surgery to repair. Oh my gosh. And the French police decided that this was an accidental rectum. <laughs> oh yeah, as one does. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the, the internal investigation uh, uh, decided that this was a, an accidental invention. Uh, you know, uh, anal rape penetration. Yeah. Yeah. Anal penetration. Exactly. The, uh, um, head of the police decided that that was BS, that there is no such thing as an accidental, uh, running up, uh, yeah. Yeah. A truncheon up someone's butt and spinning it around so much that you have to have major surgery to repair. And sure, it, Pollyanna. Yeah, and in, indicted all of the uh, all the officers in this uh, rape, which which is exactly what they're calling it. They're calling it rape. They're they're not calling it assault. They're not, they're not calling it uh, uh, abuse. They're calling it rape because uh, this is the, uh, 
Ugh, this is what happened. He uh, he was handcuffed. He was he was uh, he was laid down on the ground. He was pepper sprayed. And uh, to be fair, uh, he didn't understand what was happening to him after that because pepper spray to your face makes you really focus on your face. Yeah, one would think. Yeah, yeah. So he didn't realize that his trousers were pulled down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then uh, the, the first thing he noticed was a pain in his butt. And uh, the, the officer said that his trousers fell down. And when they were uh, hitting him because he was resisting, uh, it was accidentally inserted into his butt. I, which when you're hitting with a truncheon, okay, okay, you don't come make stabbing I, I motions. I'm a guess. Yeah, yeah, I that yeah. Guess. But that, last week, Brett told uh, Heathen Dog told us how we're all dead already. It's just waiting to find out. And now this, can we cut him off? Like, is he <laughs> had enough RNG? <laughs> His randomness seems you rather dark, doesn't it? No, yeah, no, no, is, no. I thought my stuff was dark. It's I mean, true, oh, true. I have no free it's, will. It's true. Well, it's true. Geez, stop, 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 stop. But, but there is a bright side to this. The French government. Uh, looked at the, the the findings of the of the French police. Looked at them, nodded, and said, "You're full of crap. This is, is not good. how it happened because that's impossible. You're a d bag. Go away." And all of the officers who are involved are now up on rape charges. All of them. Dang. Well, I mean, you know, you know, they could have, you know. At least they took him around the corner, so I had to watch it happen. You know, it's not like they took pictures of it and put it on Facebook. Pfft, come on, oh, you're yeah. gonna silver lining this, really? <laughs> <laughs> really, really? No, there is no silver lining here. I, I'm just really happy that that the uh, that the uh, Interior Ministry, which the the French government crap about the the whole you know, uh, police thing, uh, saw this report and said, "Are you stupid? We." There is no way that this is real. No way. Is there a French version of Miranda rights? You know, I don't, you have the right know. not to be rogered by a police baton. Yeah, personally, I don't know. I don't know. But this this, this whole thing is uh, is a testament to the fact that police around the world nowadays are apparently really bad. I don't I don't know. I mean, th- there were riots. Because of this in France, riots, you know, uh, garbage bins, cars, let them fire, all of I that. Will say all that, that stuff. The French are very fond of rioting. They okay, are. Well, perhaps, perhaps, but maybe they have you know special colors that they throw in to you know to to, to the fires to to make them festive. I don't know, but they they did this. Like Bastille Day riots? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't like French people as a rule, because every single French person I met was horrible. But I can understand this. Yeah, I can understand you being a little upset about that. A little? I understand them writing about this. I mean, you know, you you don't accidentally, you know get your baton in someone's butt so much so that it requires surgery to repair. Yeah, a lot of times you got to go to special clubs for that and pay a lot. Wait, we exactly, and then... People. Yeah, yeah, accidentally shooting people, I get. I get that. You know, you're really scared. 
you're a rookie or you're just a D-bag or whatever, you accidentally shoot somebody, I get it. But you don't accidentally take your baton and put it up someone's butt. That's not an accident thing. And I'm really happy that the French government understands that. That no, this is not an accident. You, you sexually assaulted him. You're done. And I get it. And, I, and then there's this, there is the silver lining. The silver lining is that the, the government, and I, I'm not even talking the higher levels of government. I'm talking like the, the, the people in charge of the police department were like, no, your internal investigation was BS. There's no way that it happened like that. That's impossible. Physics does not apply in this, in the scenario that you gave. There's no possible world where that happens accidentally. Exactly. So shut the heck up. You're done. All of your officers are going to jail, and that's exactly what the what's happening. All of the all the officers are under charges of rape and attempted rape and helping people rape people or whatever whatever else it is. That all of them that were there are going to trial, and I find that. Great. No, I find that amazing. Because, yeah, that is nice because you're not just saying, "Well, you know, the investigation said it's all cool." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. I mean, in, in America, I'm sad to say, most of the time, if the internal investigation says that no, it was all cool, that's where it stops. Yes, yeah, that's a you know, it's a terrible story, but at least there's some silver lining to it. No, the, 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 there's a silver lining in in that that there is an oversight. Yes. You know, there, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, 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 there is someone watching the Watchmen in this, in this instance, where I would, I would like in America to where it would be more like that. You know, there, the, there would be people watching, watching the Watchmen here, and I, I feel that there is a lack of that. Yes. And I, I yeah, exactly. I, I would like more of that, but I don't know how to affect that change. Move to France. <laughs> I don't I already stated I don't like French people because every single French born person I've met has been a, just a D-bag. It just comes from keeping people accountable, you know. It's got to stay on it. Yes. Yes, and I, I I wish that was more here than what I've read of there. All right. So, uh, Cthulhu, you got anything a little uh little more positive? I thought that was a little positive. Um, it's a little positive. Uh, you know, a little. I, I wasn't prepared for this segment, but um, I have read I've read things. Let's see. No, I saw John Wick 2. That was pretty cool. I saw a really cool movie that I would recommend to most folks called The Girl with All the Gifts. I have not heard of this film. So it's super interesting, and it's kind of a mashup of different genres, and it is it plays with like a zombie setting trope, but you like did you guys see Day of the Dead? Uh yeah. Right, the one with the underground. They've got soldiers, and they've got the doctors, and there's this tension there. Yeah. Well, this movie starts off, and before they explain to you that it's like a zombie movie, which I already knew before I was watching, they don't actually tell you that. You have young children, like 10-year-olds, and these soldiers enter, the, the children wake up in cells, and soldiers enter the cells, 
you know, M16s pointed at the children and strapped the children into wheelchairs, straps around the head, straps on the wrist, the ankles, everything. They wheel them to this classroom and they put all the kids in, in a spot. They're all kind of separated from each other. And then a woman comes in and she starts teaching them. And it's just, I mean, from the very beginning, you're like, oh my God, you're watching this with children, you know, and it, it, it's kind of heavy. And I have to say, it's, a, it's you know, a zombie movie that, now I'm a dad and I got all like, um, once I became a dad, my uh, ability to not cry or tear up when I saw horrible things happening to children in movies really diminished. But even still, you know, in the first like five minutes of this movie, I'm like, oh my God, I'm kind of choking up. And then what you find out is that each of these kids, you're in a zombie type world and this is a military base and you've got soldiers and scientists are experimenting on these kids because all these kids were born in utero with the zombie virus, but they present as human children most of the time, unless you like, they get close to human flesh and then they zombie out and try to eat the flesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, it's kind yeah, of it a, sounds awful. a twist. Sounds awful. Well, actually, now that I think about this movie, might bode poorly for the human race, but whatever. It's a very hopeful movie, right? Um, so uh, ultimately, the zombies overrun the camp, and you've got an evil scientist. And in this case, the crazy evil scientist who has the cure is Glenn Close. So you're like, what? What is Glenn Close doing in a zombie movie? But <laughs> She's in it, and and one little girl escapes, and some soldiers escape, and they go on the run, and they're trying to figure stuff out, and it ends up being that the uh, zombie virus is the same as um, I forget what it's called, but there's a, a an insect version of a zombie virus that affects ants, where what happens uh, spores grow out of their head. Yeah, the the uh, fungal infection. Yeah, exactly. Basically, this says, like, oh, what if we somehow made that affect human beings? Oh, so there's, like, this giant fungal spore tree and stuff. And Glenn Close is convinced that she has the cure, but she needs to go into the little zombie girl's head to get it out of her brainstem and it'll kill her. Well, one of the escapees is the teacher, and the teacher is trying to protect the little girl little zombie girl from Glenn Close and little zombie girls can control her zombieism. So she saves the soldiers and Glenn Close and all of them, you know, on multiple occasions as they're all in the wild and uh, it all comes to a head and I won't spoil it for you, but it ends up a pretty darn interesting movie. The, the, the way it ends, which, you know, I'll spoil it if you want, but it seems like I should warn you. No, no. Yeah. That's interesting. Dang. Yeah, it ends up kind of being, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. It kind of reminds me of some of the alien invasion pod people, body snatcher movies. And it's a zombie movie, clearly. Um, but it's also like the little girl is, well, out in the wild, they come across more little kids who are like her. But they're living in this straight up Lord of the Flies um society where they're savage but they have a leader because he has a stick and they pack hunt humans that come into the city uh and yeah when the little girl meets them things get really interesting interesting as in bad <laughs> well it really gets into whose perspective counts 
and that's kind of what makes it such a fascinating movie. Humans first. That's what counts. Yeah, not so much. Not so much oh, in this one. <laughs> dang it. I love okay, I like zombie movies, right? But we've seen a you know a bajillion of them, and you really have to do something different to get attention now and to be worthwhile. Um, this one does, and that's cool. And it kind of reminds me of uh, there was that not Shaun of the Dead, but there was that romantic comedy zombie movie. Uh, sorry. Um, oh, I know. Oh, about. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I actually love that movie. I didn't yes. watch it for years because I thought it'd be like terrible. I'm like, whatever. But when I finally saw it, I'm like, whoa, this is a real zombie movie, but they're doing something new and interesting, and I love it. And um, this was kind of like that. I think that. I have it on my Plex. Oh, I, I can look. And, and if, if, anyone does, if anyone did not uh, watch our last episode... I talked about the Plex server and how you can share legally uh, uh, movies with your friends. And uh, this one, I still, I cannot remember the name. I don't know why. I'm blanking on it now. But uh, it it is about a zombie apocalypse. And the zombies actually learn to be human again. And the, the, the more they feel actual human feelings, the more human they get so you understand that they weren't actually dead to begin with they were sick and they're getting better by being around other humans and not eating them which i thought was amazing i mean it was completely different than any other zombie movie really ever yeah that there's a cure it, it one of the things i loved about that so much that just shocked me was it's totally different than zombie movies but it actually was the next step of all the Romero movies. Because all the Romero movies, at least the original three or maybe four, they always were using zombies as kind of a stand-in for some malign social group. Right, right. right? Yes. Either it was African-Americans or even even dead people, even old people, just whatever. Consumerism, it, whatever, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and in Warm Bodies, you got finally like the next step was – to actually have them become real people again. Like Bob, right? Remember Bob and yes. Dave the Dead? Like, yes, Dave, Dave the Dead. He, body, he, was, he was learning. Yeah, yeah. He was, he, he, he was learning to be human again, but the soldiers stopped that process by killing his human teacher. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he even kills the bad guy, the main bad guy soldier with a gun, right? Instead of eating, it was glorious. Yes. All right. Um, let's see. What's going on with me is uh, I've been playing through my uh, NES collection. And uh, I found some games aren't as hard as I remember, and some are a lot harder. Um, actually, mostly they're not nearly as hard as I remember, which you would think your reflexes get slower when you get old, but maybe I'm just able to think things through a little better. Um, I was able to. Muscle memory. That could be part of it. I was able to go through Mega Man 1 and 2. Uh, like under an hour each. Um, just knocked them out real fast. But I love those games. So I still had the I still had them memorized, so it's pretty easy to go through them. Um, Castlevania one was a little tougher for me. Um, stupid death kept whooping my butt. Uh, Zelda two was as hard as I remember it. Honestly, it really was. So, but I highly recommend get out your old games. Play your old games. They're still fun. You know, they don't look as cool as 
you know, the new games do. But in some ways, because of the abstraction of it, they look better sometimes. Not Zelda 2, I'll give you that. Um, well, Zelda 2 is so different than the first game, that's why it was given such a hard time. On its own, it's not a bad game. This, you know, but people are expecting another Zelda game, like the first, it's kind of a top-down game, and it was a side-scroller. But it was a fun game. But that's what I've been up to. I know that currently at Legion Myth are trying to figure out a, uh, a game for all of us to get together and stream on a Saturday morning. Something with, like, private servers, maybe? I don't know. We're trying to think of something. There's a lot of ideas going around. So Speaking maybe... of old video games, I am playing a game that is new to me, but is, I believe, old, called uh, Dragon Age Origins. Ah, I love that game. Mm. I'm only, according to my thingy, I'm only like 15% through it, or maybe 20, but but so far it's fun. Yeah, Dragon Age Origins is one of my favorite games of all time. Very deep systems. Uh, the combat, you have to pay attention to, you know? And depending how you set up your group, uh, your decisions actually matter. There's multiple, multiple endings. Love that game so much. Uh, the other two games were... Well, especially 2 was terrible. Uh, 3 was kind of a dumbed-down version of 1, but still fun. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned combat, because that kind of... That's my one gripe with the game so far, is that the combat is... Um, it requires so much thought and attention that I find it distracts me from the story. Like I, I like games where it's either all tactical combat or games where like it's a cool story and you can get into the game but when i have to try and go back and forth i find that the tactical stuff takes me out of the game and uh, out of the story and then the story stuff distracts me from having my you know party maximized for the sort of encounters i expect and things like that i could definitely see that complaint i mean that's one of the reasons i mean i really love the combat just because you could kind of into the nuts and bolts of it but for the most most fights it didn't have to think too hard but uh like for boss fights or some really tough encounters it's like okay pause it you do this you do this you do this you do this unpause okay that happened pause it you do this you do this and you really have to have your uh your ai uh, i forget what they call it you actually could set your party's ac actions up yeah it's combat combat something you can set like uh, the higher points they have the more actions Right, but also there's set. a bunch of like, if health is below 20%, use X spell or potion or whatever. And if you get those set up nicely, combat runs itself. If you don't get those set up nicely, combat's going to be a constant pain in your side. Uh, yeah, I, I, I find myself dabbling with going and looking up guides, but I have a real problem doing that because I played WoW for years, and, and I played eve off and on a little bit and it got to the point where i was spending so much time having to do research and figure out how to maximize i played a bloody hunter and you know i was having to figure out my latency and crap so i could maximize my shot rotation macros and i just realized that i was doing more work than i was having fun yeah and so i really try to just be able to play through a game you know for lack of a better one play through a game dumb uh, no, I, I did yeah. when I played through Origins. I did I did not spend a ton of time looking up the most maximum efficient way to set up your. I would set something up, run a few combats. If it didn't work, I'd try and change it out. And it 
honestly was not so tough that I had to like get everything you know supremely optimized. I was able to get it pretty good with just you know doing that without thinking too hard about it. That for the most part, combat would run itself. I always had to control my character very closely, but uh, for my NP, for the other guys in the party, I was able to like get them to like, support me or support each other very well. But yeah, I love that. Game. I love the storyline of that game because it's not your typical fantasy world, and there are a lot of gray choices. There's no choices where it's like no matter what you're screwed, but there are choices that well neither one's great but neither one's terrible, you know. Yeah, I, I actually just um I don't know how well you remember it, but I uh I'm in the dwarf dwarven city. Oh, I remember and that you have place. To yeah. Choose between one of these two leaders, and I kept yes. going everywhere like talking to NPCs to try to figure out which one I preferred and to, to quote heathen dog, like they're both D bags just in different ways. You just kind of have to pick your poison, but neither of them are clearly good or clearly bad. Right. Which honestly to me is great writing. Um, that one, I, there actually is a slight difference between what you check for, like some of the check for some of the ending stuff. Honestly, it doesn't matter too much. Um, on different playthroughs, I went with different ones. I think with the first playthrough, I went with the younger one. Um, who did I do? I did the one who's not the... No, yeah, I went with the one who is the son. But he's apparently, like, a champion of the lower caste, and he's gonna, you know, he wants to do away with the caste system. Yeah, that's the that's the younger one. That's the... You got, like, the traditionalist character, and then you got the... Uh, the one who wants to change things up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I was like, well, I don't know. I guess I'll go with the guy that wants to change things up. Yeah, that's what I did too for the first playthrough. The second playthrough, I went through the tradition with the traditionalist, I think. And either way, it works out fine. But uh, it's it, there are minor changes, of course. Uh, but it is nice that you have that decision. And there are a lot of setups like that in the game. What's also interesting in Dragon Age Origin is there is a limited amount of gold in that game. Whoa, I did not know that. That sounds important. Yeah, um, like killing mobs doesn't give you money. Uh, you get money from selling stuff and things like that, but there is a limited amount in the world. Uh, I forget what the actual amount is. So if you're buying something super expensive, you got to think about it. Or if you're like wasting a bunch of money on potions, you got to think about that. But there actually is a limited amount of gold in that world. Unless you use the cheat code. Then it's game on. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, my first playthrough, I ended up making a few bad choices with my money. And it's like, and I was like, why can't I get more money? Then I looked it up and like, you could get a maximum of this much in the whole game. I'm like, wait, what? And started looking it up. It's like a closed economy in a way. It's like, oh, crap. And then I looked up cheat codes. Ka-ching, 10,000 gold. All right, let's buy some stuff. Because in the Dwarven City, they sell some excellent weapons. Yeah, I already bought a few things from there. Like like I said, I'm very early in the game, so I'm sure they're not going to... Well, hopefully they're not going to mess me up. <laughs> nah, you should be fine. Uh, there's never a time where you need money, really. You can always survive without it. But it's some of the nice things in life. You know, you need gold. But that story this has... This is a, why we can't have nice things. That's <laughs> right. That story gets some dark turns in it, too. But... It is a really interesting world and storyline. To me, the first game does the best job storytelling 
and um, the third game is actually kind of like a cleaned up version of the first game. So there's some good storytelling, some good decisions, but you don't have to like really maximize your macros. You don't kind of worry about much of that stupid crap. Um, kind of like the Mass Effect games. The first Mass Effect game was a very much an RPG where you had like... I haven't played those either. Oh, those are fun. You, you can get those cheap off Steam. Um, I do, and I started the first one many years ago, and, and I plan to play them, and I was actually trying to decide between playing Mass Effect or Dragon Age first. And I, I, decided I think you Dragon made a good choice. But I love well, the Mass Effect. I, I love the Mass Effect series too, but the, but the first Mass Effect game is very much an RPG. It's you know very fiddly in with your gear, and you upgrade all your gear all the time, you get new sets of armor, and a lot uh, dealing with stores and buying. Your, you know, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Very RPG-ish. The second game takes a lot of that out. It's like okay, in that you're just playing with your gear, and you don't need to. Here's your basic gear sets. And they really simplify a lot of things, which is good. Um, when I first played two, I hated how simplified it was, but in hindsight, it does make the story move better. It does create better action, you know. So I I forgive it. And three is it was just a the ending of two. Well, two was good. Three was good too, but the ending is clown shoes. But still a fun game. I, I love the whole series, and I'm very excited about the new game coming out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting the chance to play because I've heard about it for years and it's supposed to be just awesome. So, so I'm really... Um, someday. 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 I know that feeling well. Well, uh, we've prattled on for over two hours. It's time to wrap this puppy up. So if you have any constructive comments or suggestions, you can visit us on the internet, legionmyth.tv or .com, facebook.com slash legionmyth, youtube.com slash c slash legionmyth underscore page. You can check us out on Twitter at legionmyth or twitch.tv slash legionmyth. Uh, you can check out our podcast, uh, the audio version of this presentation, on iTunes, on Player FM, Stitcher, TuneIn, or the LOM cast, which you get directly off the Legion Myth webpage. Um, links are right there on the slide for you. Um, and also, if you want to directly support us, you can get your Legion Myth gear at shop.spreadshirt.com slash legionofmyth or at patreon.com slash legionofmyth. So, any final comments or questions, gentlemen? Well, I'd, I'd like to say that uh, Max Liao has uh, uh, gotten all of the gear from the uh, Oh, has he? Yes, he has, and and uh, he is very happy with the quality of it. Apparently, apparently, it has uh, it has stood the test of time since I got my shirt years ago, which very is nice. still is still in my rotation. I need to get me a new shirt. I will do so. Have you Cthulhu? Any last words? Thank you very much for having me, guys. This was a blast. I've enjoyed listening, and, and it was really fun to talk. And thank you, everybody, who's listened and chimed in on the chat. I don't know what you call it, the chatty, texty, talk to us thing. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. All right. No, thank you. It's always great to have new voices on, especially when you're engaging and exciting like that was. Really fun conversation. Thanks a lot. So remember, everyone... The Bombs Legion Myth, we appreciate your listenership. You have one life. Live it well. Live it nerdy. And have a great darn little novel.